was the best there was at what he did and what he did was take his shirt off and growl a lot and we'll miss him the hairy old bugger hello pod I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Empire Podcast spoiler specials this one is dedicated to Logan the third standalone Wolverine movie the ninth time that Hugh Jackman has unsheathed the claws of everyone's favourite fast healing adamantium bone mutant and it seems the last uh, joining me over the next couple of hours to talk all things Logan are she's the best there is at what she does and what she does is write Empire's cover feature on Logan it's Helen O'Hara hello how are you I'm very well thank you good good I'm good excited to be talking about this film yes that indeed uh, he's the best there is at what he does and what he does is not terribly well defined it's James Dyer <laughs> hello Chris how are you I am good thank you good 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 uh, can I call you Bob you can call me whatever you want excellent and you frequently do. Uh, and last but not least, she's the best there is at what she does. And what she does is edit Empire, making her spoiler special debut. It's Terry White. Hello, Chris. How are you, Terry? I'm very good. It's almost like I pay your wages. Do you, uh, that, that sounds like it comes out of your pocket. <laughs> it does. Is you this... owe me £3.99. <laughs> this week was not your best. Uh, well, come on. I, was, I had a good week this week. Yeah, you actually. When you were here, you were very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I was here for about three minutes this week, uh, but they were a good three minutes. Right. So, you excited about doing a spoiler special? Welcome to the, so the podcast. So excited. This. You love this film, don't you? Absolutely love yeah. this film. Okay. I have no balance, by the way. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, where do you stand, then, Helen? I, I stand in the extraordinarily positive camp. You know, I've always been in the extraordinarily positive camp, and in terms of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, mm-hmm. um, and and that has only increased over the years. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, and I think. You and I saw this. We liked it a lot first time around. We loved it even more second time around. Certainly, I did. Okay, and you liked it even though this is the first Wolverine slash X Men movie in which Hugh Jackman uh, takes his shirt off, and it's not meant to make you go, "Ooh, hello." Ooh, you, hey, you take hey. your shirt off this movie, and you go, those other "What sh- is that?" Those other shirtless moments were entirely necessary to the plot, and not at all gratuitous. The idea. Okay, all right, uh, Jimbo, where do you stand? I was dreadful. <laughs> No, I am. I am joking. I liked it yeah. a great deal. Yes, because it's it's good. It's a bloody good film. It is. It's a bloody good film, mate. Uh, right. Before we get into the nitty gritty uh, about the movie, uh, a word of warning: this is a spoiler special. Uh, as you know, if you listen to these podcasts before, so we will be talking through the movie in excruciating detail and depth. Uh, third act developments, major deaths, the bit where Professor X has a piss. All of it. All of it will be dissected. So if you haven't seen Logan. Highly to your nearest multiplex, do so immediately, and then come back here. Uh, and if you are still here, if you have seen Logan, we're going to start off in style with an in-depth, no-holds-barred chat with the man who turned Logan into one of the best films this year, one of the best comic book movies ever, I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's man gold in them their hills, because no. it's James... <laughs> Mangold, <laughs> which is like Mank. No. Oh. Anyway, not one of your best. He was talking to myself and Helen. Uh, do enjoy this interview. Do enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Jim Mangold, director of Logan. How are you, sir? I'm very well today. On this Excellent. rainy day in London. Are you okay? You, you're over your jet lag, or where are you? In the- I've been I've been in Europe uh, for a week now. Of so course, I'm, Berlin. I'm, Berlin. Yeah, 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 we're in the Berlin Festival, so I'm pretty well adjusted. I think. Excellent, excellent news. Um, so I think that the, the, the big question everyone wants to know, and people have been asking me this after uh, hearing we've seen the film as well, is will there be a version released in black and white? Uh, 
I have not discussed this with anyone at Fox yet, although I do get asked a lot. There is one level where I'm always thunderstruck why people need a version in black and white when they do have a color knob on their television. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but obviously, we could do a better job of timing the images, um, um, skewing them toward black and white. That could be interesting. Who knows? Uh-huh. I, I um, In fact, uh, remind me when we end, and I'll, I'll give a buzz <laughs> to uh, Fox Home Video and see if they're game. Okay. They, um, the funny thing was, you know, the marketing on this film, the use of so many black and white images mm. really was something that honestly marketing was kind of resistant to in the beginning. And I just started I just started dropping all these photos in black and white of my own that I took making the film. And I think there I think the game has changed so much in terms of what fans are looking for. And a lot of folks are still operating by an old set of rules. Yeah. And uh, and um I think uh, fans keep surprising marketing departments. And I think there's been a greater sea change in the last 18 months uh, where just something snapped. Um, It's not just politically, but all across all different spectrums where people just want something different Mm. and have just grown weary of being fed the same assembly line. Absolutely. And black and white fits into that. It's anything that just wakes you up, Mm. you know, that is just different. I think you just described the entire movie. Uh, <laughs> well, that's very, that'd be lovely. I mean, did you did you have uh, you said struggles with the marketing department? Was this a tough movie to get made? Was it, some of the concepts in this film was it tough to get them past the studio? Were they on board from the beginning? Well, interestingly, studios are, are bifurcated. You know, the marketing department and the actual kind of department that develops and makes the movies are not the same. Um, I would say I met with more hesitation from marketing departments and particularly international ones Mm -hmm. um, than, than domestic. Um, I think there's a lot of assumptions about um, what will sell quote, quote overseas and how, for instance, the biggest thing in marketing, um, but, but the real, the real gist of your question is first of all, to address is that uh, no, I, I I think that the studio really welcomed the film. I think uh, Hugh, and I did present Fox with a kind of uh, make it this way or we don't make it proposition in a most polite way, but just uh, <laughs> honestly that that we were just tired of doing the other thing. Yeah. And that um, uh, for my sake, I was not interested. Um, it's an odd journey because I, you know, after I finished The, the Wolverine, um, I was going to make a, a detective film called Travis McGee, The Blue mm-hmm. Goodbye, The Deep Blue Goodbye with Christian Bale. And Christian, 14 days before we were to start shooting, um, tore his ACL in his Ooh. knee and um, could not perform. And so the movie got canceled. And... Um, I think in me, I had a lot, that was a dark film and a kind of journey into the abyss in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think I had a lot, uh, I had spent the previous two years kind of in Marvel mode and I was really looking forward to escape. Um, (laughs) And when that stopped um, suddenly um, I crashed, first of all, I mean, I was really um, brokenhearted over the, 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 that film, um, not happening but then um this then when i turned to this movie i think i brought a lot of the uh, kind of inward ambition that i was bringing to travis Mm -hmm. to this um but hugh also was very insistent that we do something very different so the two of you 
basically pitched your idea. Um, and, well, and it wasn't so official, but, but I started I started work on it. I had an idea that I scrawled down that Hugh signed on to, which was essentially him on the run, um, living in some. At first, it was in a Kentucky bourbon mill um, with keeping Charles Xavier in a bourbon tank, um, <laughs> and uh, and then I moved it. Probably very much inspired by. Uh, the news and mm. the political climate to the border um, and um, and X-23 coming into their lives. That was kind of the initial pitch. And in tone, I said to them, I wanted to make, you know, a very bloody little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> Which mission accomplished. <laughs> well, um, well, there you go. Uh, was But was the death part of it originally? Just to cut straight to the chase. I mean. Uh, which death? Both, actually. Yes, they were all in the original outline I made. They were all, the plan was always, I felt that uh, there was no end if you didn't end. Um, And that particularly in the case of Wolverine, uh, the guy's been alive for a long time. And um, I I felt that, I, I felt that, Exhaustion is actually one of the character's attributes, mm. you know, um, uh, so that in some way I felt like I had a chance if I could get the alchemy right, that his death would actually be a rest, yeah. a release of some kind um, from this um, most soiled of worlds mm. and that um, that we might it might not play just as a hammer to the head for the audience but it's something slightly more um, transformational. Mm-hmm. I think it does. I mean, I was listening, actually. It struck me when I saw it for the second time today. The, the, what he says to, to Laura just before the end is what you sense he always wanted someone to say to him. You know, uh, you, you don't have to keep... They're going to keep coming, but you don't have to keep fighting. Uh, you don't be what they made you. That all seems like stuff that, that applies to him almost more of than course. it does to her. Of course. Well, isn't that as parents what yeah. we do? Yeah. Um, the... Um, my writing partner came up with the final line, um, which is, uh, so, so this, this is what, is it, what feels it feels like, like yeah. which the second I heard it, well, actually we were trading pages back and forth and that suddenly appeared and I got chills mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, it means at least two powerful things at the same time. And, um, for a man who has literally endured death or mortal wounds hmm. uh, hundreds of times yet never gotten to the other side. Yeah. Um, it means that, but it also looking into the eyes of a child who loves you in a pure way, um, you know, uh, something he may have never let in before in his life. It may be, it's okay that it's in the last 28 seconds of his yeah. life. Yeah. But the fact is that he tastes that. Um, and I think, um, and so this is what it feels like. And um, I think Hugh's attack on the line, the the kind almost ecstatic, um, is really beautiful. Um, still moves me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it like filming it, especially for for Hugh, who's been it's, this character for so, so long. You know, I get asked this question so much, and I always feel like I disappoint with my answer. I, I always feel like Hugh, being the consummate showman, probably tells a very sa- a sappier tale than I do. Uh, but uh, uh, honestly, I am a driven bastard. 
Um, I am a very hard worker on the set, and I am living in a continuous uh, Mobius loop in my head of, did I get what I need? Do I have what I need? And all the more in a very important scene like that, I am living under the crushing pressure of just... um, letting go mm-hmm. of the scene. You know, I, I want to keep, sh- my DP is already, uh, the takes we got, My uh, John was already saying, we've run out of light. We ran out of light a half hour ago. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, and so that it's, it's hard for me to kind of have this uh, normal emotional experience. I actually probably came closer to having it a week ago in Berlin when I am not responsible any longer for anything, but maybe getting up on stage at the end and not, tripping on the stairs. That's the most I have to worry about. And the everything else I can't do anything about. Yeah. And, um, and so I think I experienced that most also the power of sitting, um, right there next, next to Hugh and Patrick and mm. Daphne, yeah. um, helped me feel that. Yeah. Uh, did you, uh, did you always have the final image of the movie in your head? The, uh, it's the, something I came up with shortly after Scott sent me that line. Um, I, I, I've thought about how I came up with it, and the idea occurred to me. Um, well, I, I take it back. My writing partner sent me a version of the scene where the cross was put in, you know, just boom. And um, two things hit me. One is that, um, and you can look it up and maybe even feature it on your site, but there's a fabulous uh, piece of artwork on the cover of uh, I believe it's a kind of, uh, '70s X-Men comic um, that maybe '80s, but it mm-hmm. it is uh, Wolverine pinned almost like Christ to an X aboard a mound of green skulls, and um, and so, so I, I couldn't take credit for kind of conflating the crucifix and the cross and yeah. kind of doing that. My dad is also a minimalist, minimalist painter, and during my childhood had a whole. He had a year where he did the plus series and a year where he did the X series. And the uh, so pluses and X's um, uh, are or pluses. And when he did the plus series, he was everyone was always asking him. And I knew it made him because he's a minimalist. So upset people are going, is there a Christian reference in the pluses? <laughs> and he'd be like, no, it's a plus. It's two lines crossing each other. And the uh, um, but the but the reality is that all that was in my head. And you're looking for this gesture. Mm. Um, to exit um, and one which you know I'm a filmmaker so you want it to not be words Um, we've done enough words at that point and um, that's that's as much as I can tell you where it came from when the idea occurred to me no, it, it's fascinating as well because uh, there will be people who will read a religious uh, reading into it, a religious uh, metaphor into it as well. Uh, the, the the choice of the, the, the to turn a cross into an X is very interesting. There's also a movie where the people, you know, where the, the kids are looking for Eden, and of course Logan references God himself uh, at least. Uh, what about what about basically Logan and Laura? Well, Laura really destroying Logan's evil twin Mm. moments before he has the only minute of Of pure peace in his life that which, and, and it, it certainly occurred to me. I mean, we, the idea for X 24 was essentially that this nightmare, the nightmare of his past, meaning what he was as weapon X comes back to him fully born stronger and just as drug addled and, and maniacal as he ever could have been in his youth. Mm-hmm. And that he's actually facing, in a way, 
the reincarnation of his most sinful self. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, that to me, uh, and is then that's killed by his daughter. Yes. And then who then comes to his side and somehow he is free of something from yeah. the moment that's happened. I mean, there's a lot of ways um, to to look at the text. I can't tell you that. I mean, the act of writing is a passionate act first, not an intellectual one. But when you know you're doing it kind of right, you f- you you find all these resonances in it in kind of your second pass. I'm sure this happens to you guys as writers, which is just like stuff happens. And then you look at what you kind of purged out and then you parse it and you, and you lean into the stuff that you, uh, where there's illusions that are interesting. Yeah. And, um, also though, I think not to wander, but I do think interesting interpretations happen in movies with less information that, um, we have, successfully in most modern films killed the act of allegory or metaphor or meaning or or even the space to process the poetic meaning of the imagery because we don't allow it to sit on screen without commentary for very long. Hardly ever a wide shot exists anymore in a movie without fucking type underneath it telling you where you are and the sound of a teletype machine. (laughs) We just can't let an image sit for fear that one of our ADD audience members cannot possibly keep from looking at their phone during that shot. We we did have a, we did a live podcast uh, last week with Christopher McQuarrie and he came along, he was talking about Valkyrie at one point and, and he said they had a discussion that some of the audience wouldn't know who Hitler was and wouldn't know that the Valkyrie plot to kill him failed and that, so they had to proceed on that basis. Which is, you know, slightly mind-boggling. Well, that they don't know it failed is actually an advantage because mm. I mean, yes, the, that's the, true. But the whole thing is a terrible commentary on on just the state of the the world. Mm. And uh, but the yeah, well, Chris is right. I mean, the but we cannot make films for the dumbest of us. Uh, <laughs> that's that's. Um, We've already all are working on getting a government for the for the least intellectually um, uh, appropriated. So it's like there's a there's some level where um, at least that's the good fight that that we try to fight. I know Chris is on that team. Um, uh, The the effort to just try to take to not abdicate this platform. There's a there's this large platform. American movies, in particular, blockbuster quote unquote films. we have this large platform that we stand on and we're distributed worldwide and the reach is more enormous uh, than really a filmmaker can imagine. And there is some level where you have to take a moment and go, what am I saying? Mm. And it's not just about uh, violence or, or did I contradict the canon of this comic, but there's bigger issues. What am I saying about life? Um, and, and am I actually helping people stay anesthetized or ignorant? Mm. Am I contributing? Absolutely. I thought, I thought some of the way that you set up the future, the near, very near future really was, was fascinating. So we're looking at self-driving trucks. That's something that's in the news every day. Well, it's happening. A a, a border wall is in the news every day. You know, drones were there, um, uh, these huge kind of unmanned harvesters. It's all kind of, yeah. and and stuff in the GM food stuff that we yeah. don't know yeah. about. You know? Healthcare, and, uh, and poor Charles can only get his meds when Logan is buying them on the black market. 
it. Yeah. The, uh, the, yes, uh, well, the, these would all be uh, observations of my own about where if I had to do a 10 years in the future, I, you know, when you're going, or what was it? 2029. So 12 years mm-hmm. in the future, the, um, the, for me, the, the postulation of the future is often an exercise more for production designers to, um, play. Yeah. And, um, and certainly that's yielded some glorious results. I mean, immediately comes to mind, um, uh, a blade runner, but, the but, um, and, actually how they weren't that far off um, yeah. much from much further in the past. Uh, um, but the, I even think they've influenced the designs in that film have influenced where things have gone. But the, but um, when you're not going so far in the future, I tried to err on the side of just being conservative in the sense of um, not rebuilding the world, but also married to the fact that I couldn't afford to rebuild the world. Um, <laughs> part of the bargain for the creative freedom in this movie mm-hmm. was to make it for less money. Yes. Uh, you also have a bad guy called Donald. Oh, there you go. Well, that's actually from the comics. <laughs> I know. So, but it's uh, just. A, I mean, his last name is Pierce, not Trump. Um, just a, a wonderful bit of serendipity. I that. find that our Donald much more charming. So I. Uh, <laughs> I I'd much rather spend time with your Donald. Absolutely. Yeah, um, can you talk about using Shane? In this film, is that an important film for you? Yes, I mean, first of all, just simple answer: yes. It's a, it's one of the kind of ten or twelve films that is always banging around my head, um, um, and I ask myself why sometimes. And, um, and besides that, it's masterfully made, and uh, there's many films that would qualify under those. I think I am deeply admiring of movies. Um, and I think you can see some reflection of this in my career, but that uh, where um, or, uh, where the filmmaker manages to be both to occupy two spaces in the same film that are often segregated in modern movies, meaning you can find very muscular action picture, very masculine films, or you can find deeply felt films, but you often don't see the two braided together. And um, Shane is a deeply felt film about love and family and uh, honor and um, loyalty and also the shadow of violence Mm -hmm. and it's life destroying Mm -hmm. properties not only as a literal sense of violence ends life but as for those who commit violence that the shadow of that act hangs over the rest of their lives um, in a way that is not easily escaped. And all those themes are wrapped up in a mainline Hollywood picture um, featuring movie stars um, in, a, in, a, in a milieu, in a genre that in sometimes made very meaningless movies, but that mm. one certainly isn't an example of that. Um, I also, frankly, right after I finished The Wolverine, I was asked um, and was honored to be asked by um, George Stevens' family to deliver. I think they had seen other stuff I had written or me talking about the movie, and I delivered um, a little essay or thoughts on Shane. Um, maybe I could find it and give it to you guys, but I... Um, it were just some words, a few pages of speaking about the movie that I did at the, uh, the Motion Picture Academy um, because the new restored version of Shane had just been finished. And uh, um, and somehow immersing myself in that film and trying to come up with something thoughtful to say um, that wasn't obvious, mm. it um, 
the power of the film kind of hit me all over again since childhood, and I'm sure it was stewing around in my brain. I couldn't believe we got the rights. You know, it's a rival studio mm-hmm. that we yeah. got the rights uh, to use to use it. I, I always believed that was going to get somehow undermined. Yeah, uh, it's it's a powerful moment at the end as well when Laura recites that speech. Uh, it seemed, you know, it's it's it, it that for me when I did the tipped. Uh, tipped cross uh, that was the same day and uh, so often the the problems and the the greatest challenges you have as a screenwriter are just sitting there through the unsolvable meaning what would what could you possibly have someone say um, that is appropriate I mean for instance for Charles Xavier my solution it's kind of it's kind of a weak one in a way is that Logan just can't find anything to say and that um, and Hugh of course makes a meal of it it's an incredibly powerful moment Um, but the and appropriate because it's like he's um, Logan's real, you know, um, he lives real and he doesn't want poetry. And the second he has to find something nice to say, um, it seemed very natural that it's just I can't do this bullshit. Yeah. Um, I can't. And, and in, but some in ways- Laura's case, it's like. What can it be for a child who barely speaks English? What can it be for a child who has barely been out of a lab for more than two weeks? Um, mm. What can she find? And um, it just struck me as a really lovely... Um, it's not completely appropriate to what's going on, but that's even better that the words almost start to only have half meaning and they just, she could be saying the alphabet. Part of it is, is just the power of saying something. Yeah. And then the other half power is that it's, it's actually quite appropriate. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask about the sort of relationships between the three of them. Cause it really, again, it really struck me today how much Logan tries to push Laura away like until until Charles is gone, really, he puts Charles consistently first, tries to look after him consistently first, tries to abandon her a couple of times, and is basically stopped in his tracks. Um, and and really, until he has no more choice, he's he's trying to keep her at arm's length. I, I guess is that more for her safety than his, or is it a little bit of both? Why is he doing that? Yeah, I, I think I think when I sat down with a blank page to come up with anything, even the bourbon mill, um, the first thing I struck that struck me was that, you know, I asked myself these questions. One is what is Logan frightened of? Cause whatever this last film should be, it should be about what he's most frightened of. And it clearly is not a villain and it clearly isn't the end of the world. Uh, and it isn't death. So what could it be? And it struck me that what he's most frightened of is love. So, um, it makes sense to me that, that he will be pushing away love in its purest form a family sense um for the entire picture mm-hmm. and that um i mean i would even argue that i don't think he i don't think until he enters the woods in yeah. late in the third act he's even even begun to think about owning i mean it is even at eden in the film where he's saying to her i'm not whatever it is charles told you i am mm-hmm. which is basically just me trying to find a way to avoid saying i'm not your father um <laughs> the uh, in a different way um the and not write that line over again but the uh, <laughs> but the but the real drive there is that he's terrified um Again, since this is a spoiler-rich discussion, the you know when they stop mid-picture at the Munson family house with this farm family, 
um, Logan is tr- the only one who's uneasy yeah. and mm-hmm. says flat out to Charles, we can't stay here, you know. Um, and literally the other two characters would be just as happy to pretend that they're not being pursued and they could just live in these rooms and be around the vibe of this family for the rest of their lives. And, um, and when tragedy comes to that house, horrific violence comes to that house. Um, I think it is Logan more than anyone in a very strong close up that, um, we see after Will Munson kills X-24, mm. kills, Im- at least immobilizes X-24, um, there's a really powerful close-up of Hugh in which, to me, what's going on, I mean, what I talked about with Hugh before we shot it was just the complete and 100% acceptance that I can never be close or open myself up, That that the act of me feeling affection for anyone is as good as signing their death warrant and that lo- uh, if I feel love that person will surely die and that um, uh, I think that plays a role in his entire relationship with her um, uh, uh, and the pain he feels in saying trying to say goodbye to her at many points that is an extraordinary scene at the Munson uh, farmhouse uh, and today watching it for the second time you're screaming <laughs> inwardly not outwardly I'm, yeah. I, don't, I don't like to ruin screenings you're screaming at the Munsons just to drive on just don't invite these people to dinner right. don't invite them to stay the night they're so sweet they're so sweet <laughs> and such violence is visited upon them and it's interesting that Charles is really the architect of that unwittingly perhaps but he's also the unwitting architect of what's yes but in life we cannot we can't go you know if you're in a family and one of you is hit by a car you can't blame the person who decided to go to the market meaning the 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 yes mm. that's true i mean hugh wants to keep moving mm. uh, he knows best um um and um that there really is no respite for them Mm. um but but i don't know that i'd blame charles or say he's responsible but i would say yes they uh um they are they are bringing a shadow upon any place they land but what's interesting i think is it's a movie that's i think about the the sins of the past being repaid in whole and charles is certainly someone who's not whose hands exactly aren't exactly clean over the years and uh, there's reference in the movie obviously to him being responsible for the Westchester incident just over a year beforehand uh, I just wondered if that was something you were playing with that idea of people, uh, people um, paying it is, it is our, our twilight the twilight of our lives is essentially I think a kind of reckoning with the life we've lived um, in Charles's case I think um, there's tremendous uh pain in losing that which made him whole which is his brain um losing it's no different than a runner losing their legs or a, um he is um experiencing life um without the one thing that gives him power or without control of the one thing that gives him power um uh he, and in logan's case he he is in a sense trying very much like um, the character in Unforgiven or other or Shane, Unforgiven is hugely also influenced by mm. Shane in all reality. Um, that uh, I mean, the last sequence of him coming to town, Bill Money is essentially exactly the same as 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 
as Alan Ladd doing that. Um, the uh, and that's no knock on either film. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, but it is it is it is yeah very much. I mean, I, I try to do that in everything I do. Um, the mythic quality here. It, the juxtaposition of stuff is really interesting. The um, but if you were asking about any other films of mine, I'd be able to kind of talk about the sins of the past coming back. You know, I mean, it suddenly you made me think of you know in Girl Interrupted, the film I made a long time ago. There's mm-hmm. a sequence in which uh, uh, Winona Ryder's character first moves into this mental institution and is shown her room um, uh, next to this roommate named Georgina. Um, and there's, um, and it's suddenly the question suddenly occurs, whose bed, whose bed am I sleeping in? Who was sleeping in this bed last week? And it's at the same moment that Angelina Jolie's character makes her entrance into the film and, uh, and comes storming into the room to find out, I don't remember the name. Mm. Um, it was a name that was important to Angie, if I remember right. Um, but where did she go? Where is she? And the person who was sleeping in that bed that Winona's character, Susanna, was now taking, killed herself. And and killed herself because Angie had run away. Um, Angie's character had run away and left her. Um, and um, none of that is broadly... Uh, it's 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 broadcast or uh, only in shadows um, and um, and the idea first occurred to me in that film. I mean, that film, you know, my template was the Wizard of Oz. So uh, Angie <laughs> was the Wicked Witch of the East, arriving and wondering, or the West, and wondering where her sister where was. Her sister yeah. was. Um, and um, and you the band is the Red Shoes. The ba- yes, yeah. There you go. And and I thought. Uh, Winona's character was the perfect Dorothy arriving into a circumscribed universe where all these different people were missing different parts of themselves and could not escape and didn't know how. And ultimately she gets out and always had the power to get out if she just kind of grabbed herself and pulled it together. Um, But movies like there's a lot of ways movies always have had influences on me and not the obvious. Hmm. I mean, in terms of the relationship between Charles and, and, uh, and Logan and, and that whole idea of sins of the past, though, there, there's some really fascinating interplay there because almost his last line is, I think I finally understand you. Um, and it's when he realizes that he himself is responsible for, for pain, for and, pain suffering. and death. Yeah. Um, and, and it sort of ties in nightly, nicely with that line earlier on about you're, you're such a great disappointment to me because it's, yes. it's kind of echoing himself almost. Well, in a way, Charles, you could accuse Charles of being uh, unaware Mm. of his own of his own flaws um maybe a little uh, uh too much reading of his own publicity clippings or maybe the comic books and that the <laughs> that 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 uh that it dawns uh, it dawns on him that he may not be perfect and um and I think we forgive Charles for that kind of realization because in many ways he is nearly perfect. So mm-hmm. as a father figure, as a force of good and wisdom and gentility, um, um, but everyone makes mistakes. Mm. Absolutely. How, how much, uh, you, you said earlier on that you know, contradicting the canon didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily a priority for you. Well, I I had no priority in contradicting the canon. I had no priority in being slavish to it, meaning I had uh, it's but neither 
I don't think the impulse from from fans to want to have this kind of vision of of uh, of the comic books writ large in movie form with a kind of unerring devotion to what was in the comic books. There is just, and I say this with tremendous respect for those who feel this way, there's just a slight lack of practicality within that dream. Uh, first of all, the comic books contradict themselves. <laughs> the The comic book authors rebuilt the universes in each of these Marvel and DC universes several times, mirror earths, second comings, new generations, dada, at all. So first of all, they reset this shit over and over again. Second of all, even when they didn't, new artists came in and just shaded characters and forgot about others. Um, and um, because it happened in slow motion over years, um, I don't think people quite had that fantasy. Um, but then there's the other side, which is I think fans want great films. They want ambitious films. They want films that don't feel like product placement or that they're here to sell merchandise or just sell the next movie. And that also contradicts the desire to be this 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 kind of, uh, you know, to, that it's like Godfather 1 and 2 and you could just cut them all together and even make one really long movie out of them. The That ambition is inherently uncinematic. It inherently... Um, if you're upset by the quality of the comic book, quote unquote, movies you see, then you should give the filmmakers a little more latitude. Because the fact is that um, that if the, if the filmmaker can't assert themselves in the same way that the comic book authors did, then you're basically just saying we're a conductor of a, of a piece in repertoire. We're just playing a hymnal as it was written 18 years ago and we're just doing a kind of rep company version putting it on for historical purposes and that's not I don't uh, film is too rich an artistic medium to have someone do something so generic yeah. with with it I think that much more is you know you don't like what I did with the Japanese saga well in 20 years someone else will do it again differently um, uh, the and that the uh, for me the joy should be the disconnectivity instead of the connectivity the joy should be wow look how different when brian singer makes one these things are really cool and interesting when mangold makes one these things are really cool and interesting and when this person makes one these elements change what a great window into how what a powerful medium film is that people can take literally the same characters and actors mm -hmm. and make such different movies with them um that to me is a kind of as the comic books were, meaning as when uh, Miller and Claremont did uh, did a series versus um, versus Joe Casada versus I mean that they change that Neil Gaiman's doing this and and you know that it's changing what these are how we think about them is changing with the artistic voice coming to play. Um, I think that's a much healthier place for the movies to get made from. Mm. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing, for example, then you, it didn't really matter uh, about the details, for example, of that Westchester massacre for you. you, did, you no, you that would be the, the saying it didn't involved, matter, the or involved. I, I, or I, uh, I am happy to contradict. Would uh, I think shows a kind of malice to, from me? Mm. It does matter. Mm. I don't do it without a reason. I am aware when I'm crossing the line. There's just a point at which. I feel um, 
I have to make a measured decision. I mean, your life as a film director, like anyone managing anything, particularly when it's one of these large enterprises, is a series of decisions. It's just nothing but a series of decisions to be made. And the the when you make the decision, it's not like you're you think the other one would be stupid. It's just that you have to keep in mind where the ship is going, mm. and that you're trying to make the best decision mm. for the ship. My decision to not dispense further details Mm -hmm. was because I feel these movies have become overladen with them and that there is a kind of industry that is formed that even you participate in and that, that the internet and the fans and Twitter and that there's an entire cottage industry that parses over the choices we make as filmmakers and tries to read them like liturgy and try and figure out what we've contradicted in God's word and what we haven't and why, and can we offer reasonings for this? And that one way or another, Shane didn't have to deal with that. (laughs) Neither, neither, did Unforgiven, neither did, nor did Dirty Harry or The Wrestler or, or um, that, that at some point um, you got to let go and, and realize that movies are not contract contracts. They are not, they're not um, litigation and therefore they're not text. They're a breathing experience with images and sound. And, and for me, the more I'm explaining, the less I'm got I'm making cinema and the more I'm just feeding an apparatus, it's the apparatus I have contempt for. It's the, it's the cottage industry in, um, in, in betrayals of Canon <laughs> in which people are really not worried about the betrayals of Canon. They're selling their fucking websites. Yeah. They're selling their links and their commercials on their fucking websites. And they're using fan adoration of comic book characters to create anger and it, it much the same way politicians do. Um, and the reality is that we'd all be better off if we unplugged a little bit from that. You're listening to the Empire Spoiler Special. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to ask something else that's, that's a little bit around this idea of uh, rethinking what a superhero movie can be and, and has to be and should be. Uh, it's worth noting that there is no attempt here or discussion of or certainly success in saving the world uh mutants are still at the end of this you know artificially suppressed humanity is still you know that whole part of the the kind of villain's plan is still entirely absolutely there's a couple things to say about it one is that i think i think it's a really cheap uh device Mm. in general um when you can't get your audience involved on the basis of your characters to basically imperil your audience. It's like a kind of, um, it's like, well, if I can't get him involved in worrying about the characters we've created, at least I can get him involved in whether they can go home. Um, and there will be a home. Um, that, and, and I just think we've gone to the well too much. And again, because I am a fan of comic books and was since childhood, uh, like once a year, there would be kind of the double issue spectacular where the fate of the world was in mm-hmm. somehow jeopardy. Um, but most episodes of most comics, DC, Marvel and otherwise, were basically about betrayals, bank robberies, series of a spree, a killing, a solving a mystery. They were not about every episode. Every comic was somehow trying to clip the red wire on what would be the destruction machine of the universe. And that... Um, the story is old 
I mean, it's over. And I've seen cities fall. I've seen continents fall. I've seen planets explode. Um, I'm very proud that the most you see in this film explode is a van. <laughs> it's quite a big van, though. You know, yeah, it's, okay. It's, it's a, a it's a supersized van. <laughs> but that, that goes back. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of the, uh, the interview that the plan for this movie right from the off was the death of Logan and the death of Charles as well. And Charles's death is particularly affecting for me because it's it's a totally non-heroic death. It's an old man being stabbed to death in his bed and his last words are virtually incoherent. It's a very realistic, very poignant... His thing. last words are what? Well, his last words are Sunseeker, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Sunseeker, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's virtually incoherent. Uh, Logan, in particular, doesn't really... I think know what Charles what is talking saying. about. Yeah, um, that's a very interesting decision to to make for a movie like this. Well, it it just it, it, if you could put yourself, you could disagree with the with with my mindset for making the movie, and I invite you to, and that's part of what movies are. But that if you put yourself in my shoes, and my mindset was to make a film that very intentionally, from the score to the cinematography to the production design to the naturalistic acting to the lack of branded bullshit um, like X jets or Batmobiles or caves or headquarters floating in the sky any of it to get rid of all of it and to see whether I could make something function with just what I could buy at a farmer's market essentially. And, (laughs) and if you accept that, uh, goal, then, then of course I didn't give him a quote hero's death because I'm not, he's not gladiator and this is the real world where we die in beds with family members and that where, where it isn't always our last moment isn't necessarily peak. Um, even Logan is, there's a degree to which he's been beaten. Um, and, um, and it's not heroic in the sense that it's, um, I don't even know what a quote heroic death is, to be honest. It's if you really look at a realistic death, it is, uh, it's, it is a vulnerable act. Um, it is an act of passing. It's, there's a reason we use that metaphor and, and that's not an extremely active Mm -hmm. verb. And, the um, and so, you know, in every choice I made, I was trying to contradict the default settings of, of summer pictures, if you would. Well, I've, I've never seen a movie uh, like this, for example, where uh, one of the characters helps the other, another character go to the toilet. I mean, that, that's, it's, it seems like a a small thing, but that, that's a deeply affecting moment for anyone who's had to be in that situation before. Yeah. And the, just the, the, how many times does Logan have to remind him to take his pills? How many times the, the mundane, I thought there was power in taking these, uh, gods essentially. Um, I even think it's something in Neil, um, Gaiman play, played with so beautifully in the original Sandman, which is, you know, these are literally gods, but they're having fraternal squabbles. They're, uh-huh. they're incredible sibling rivalries are going on They're It's like, it's like Hannah and her sisters with gods, you know, and, the uh, and the, I think that humanizing of, of it, it lets us in. And I think comics did that. I think the movies have tended to, to particularly the 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 last ten years, I think you know, Triumph of the Will has been more and a more effective um, uh, influence upon the the style of a lot of um, uh, 
films, uh, superhero films than than, for instance, Donner's Superman. Mm. That the that which was extremely human to me, um, a different tone than Logan by far, but still like you know. Um, just those beautifully Robert Benton written scenes between, you know, him and Lois Lane on the terrace and just the hum- the kind of beautiful humanity yeah. and simplicity of those scenes and the kind of lyrical joy of, of being swept in the air by a God who also happens to have a crush on me, you know, and that the, the, the contradictions and all that um, uh, are beautiful to me. It's a real warmth to it, I think. Yes. Those, those well, warmth are. is, I think the idea, and that gets back to us talking about Shane, the braiding together of warmth and darkness is really interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, just very, very quickly, I mean, uh, Helen spotted this. In uh, Nate Munson's bedroom, there is a poster on the wall which bears a striking resemblance to the 310 to Yuma poster. Is that... Was not in, it was not on my part intentional. I'd have to <laughs> nail nail my set dresser down and see. <laughs> but um, no, I, I'm not big on. I, I really, if anything, tend to look to remove um, anything that um, is going to pull you out. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. We, we only saw it second time around. So there you go. But no, it wasn't. But but yeah. sharp eyes, I guess. <laughs> it is in the corner. Um, do you think of other movies that you've made when you're writing something? I mean, does something like Copland, uh, where for Freddy, for example, is a little bit like Logan in this movie, where he's a good man trying desperately not to do the right thing? I don't know that last... I think about other movies I've made while I'm making the current one, but I definitely do re- go to the same bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you could find, I think you could find tremendous similarity between Logan and Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the nihilism, in terms of as characters, um, in terms of their own, you know, John Cash had this great story. He told me only a couple of weeks before he died, I asked him what his favorite film was. And he told me Frankenstein, the James Whale Frankenstein, oh, wow. yeah. and that he saw it as a nine-year-old boy. And that while everyone in the theater was terrified of this monster, he had the odd sensation of identifying with him. Um, and feeling, and I remember when John told this to me, it was very moving, but that feeling as a boy, like Frankenstein, he was made up of bad parts, that he was a boy made up of of evil parts. And that um, still chokes me up to think about it, actually, living with that, but that I think Logan very much lives with a similar feeling um, of being some kind of monster, um, a man a tender man living in this cursed body. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, uh, Christian Bale dies um, at his son's feet in the end of 310 Yuma. You could accuse me of going to the well there again. Um, Oh, it's it's uh, (laughs) And is walking around with a bit of a death wish himself through most of that movie. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a common thread there with with the sort of... And Logan Lerman yeah. pulls a gun on Russell Crowe, who refuses to, uh, and and then won't pull the trigger. Um, uh, the there's a kind of moment for a good man to kill another man out of anger, and he turns it down. Um, I, I, I I'm sure it's never intentional. I'm never going. I'll lift this thing for my own movie, but I definitely, <laughs> um, even though the genres change, I don't. 
In some ways, you lifted more than I expected from past Wolverine movies. So the the adamantium bullet, we we sort of saw in X Men. They were useful tools. I mean, useful tools to kind of create this. You know, the great playwriting expression: a gun in the first act always goes off in the third, and you do need something. And the more I can reduce it from being a lot of verbs, a lot of talking, to just an object the more I can keep it being what I consider a movie, you know, which is images and ideas. And that bullet becomes an encapsulation of so much more than it's kind of this, literally this death wish trading hands Mm. through the movie um, and ultimately killing Wolverine, although a different one than you expect. And um, (laughs) there you go. Chekhov's adamantium bullet. Yes. (laughs) Uh, He never dreamed. Absolutely. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. (laughs) Uh, and then just very quickly, the end of the movie as well, uh, was that a, a nod to the end of the first film? Hughes talked in the, in the in the past about how X-Men Origins Wolverine perhaps didn't turn out as well as he had hoped. And the end of this how movie... How would the end of this movie be a nod? I don't even Well, not, not a nod necessarily, but a, a, a correction, shall we say. Because the first X-Men Origins Wolverine finishes with Wolverine battling a genetically engineered version of himself in an attempt to save some children. And this one does as well but it's a much better version. <laughs> so, I honestly, I honestly, I saw that, uh, I, I, my apologies to all those involved in Wolverine origins for saying this, but I, I, I think everyone's gotten past it now. When I saw, um, Wolverine origins, I just stood st- slack jawed and never <laughs> went back. Meaning I have not gone backward and gone back for references. I could not even remember what, who that's happening <laughs> in the third act of that movie. Um, the, for me, by the time you got there, I and his uh, girlfriend had popped up again in the laboratory. I was. Um, it just seemed like a potluck of screenwriting cliches hurled together in a hat. Um, uh, so there you go. And uh, just very quickly, there's only uh, a couple of mutants in this movie. Charles is one. Caliban is another. Uh, there's a group of new mutants at the end of the, at the movie. Uh, did the script go through different iterations? Was it was it always the idea to keep it stripped back? Were there cameos for different? Like I said in 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 uh, 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 other interviews about this, I did toy with um, trying to satiate fans and give them uh, a cameo for another well known uh, mutant. Um, but I found I, every time I tried to write it, it just Oh, look who's here. Uh, it just seemed I could just, and this is, this is the battle we have. It's like, I know I'd make that guy who's writing me every day about wanting to see Rogue in this movie. I know I'd make him happy or the ones that are writing me about Jean Grey or the ones that are, and that, but I couldn't do it. I, I tried. I couldn't do it. When I came upon it, it looked like I was just spoon feeding some honey to 12 people who tweet me every day. But that in the end, I was making a bad decision for the other 98 million eyeballs that would land on this thing, which it just felt like suddenly it's a mad, 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 mad world. And here, oh, my God, it's it, Phil Silvers. And, and, uh, and it just felt forced. Wow. You did have a reference to Jean Grey in the Munson scene when I saw it, when you showed me a little bit of uncut. Yes. We, um, it's gone now. Yes. There is a moment. There is a moment. I think it'll make it on the Blu-ray where I did different. I tried a couple different. Um, I had sketched out different conversations for that dinner scene. And one of them went to a much darker place in which um, 
uh, one of the uh, Elise uh, asks Logan, Mrs. Munson asks Logan um, if he's married, and Charles says he was. He killed her, and that um, of course he wasn't really married. But the hmm. but the but and what then spawns is Charles waxing poetic about Jean Grey, and and it just. Um, it's a really cool moment, and both Hugh and Patrick are amazing. The problem was that it created doom. It created an incredibly powerful lead, solid lead brick of doom at the mm. middle of the only moment in the movie where there was a breather. And <laughs> um, and even I, um, it, with my taste for the dark, um, felt that it was one too many. That that's what I thought when I saw it. Yeah. Like it I, I kind of missed it, but at the same time, you, you feel, saw you feel, where it feels yeah. right. What, Things what go pretty shit yeah. bag pretty, uh, within seconds after that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice to keep things um, in a way pleasant before that. Anyway, yeah. and before we let you go, I've, I've just got to ask one last thing about the very end of the film. At any point, did you get a note from anybody saying, "Can we just hold a shot on the pile of rocks for just long enough, and then"? A hand comes through the pile of rocks with the claws extended, and then we cut to black. No. <laughs> that surprises uh, no. me, actually. Uh, well, you know, the the one who I've always, as he, as he has the difficulty sometimes saying it's completely over, the one who I'd most expect it from might be you. But the, uh, the who has, you know, who it's a struggle to let go of yeah. something so strong that's been omnipresent in his creative life for 20 years but uh but no um i think i think that i mean i gave them many escape valves since we take place in 2029 and x-men apocalypse ends in 2024 there's five blank years there um that are wide open to seeing how things got from here to there (laughs) um or else you can do what i would advocate which is just imagine a different world and make a new movie (laughs) and don't don't you don't need the permission of the other movies because no one's splicing them all together and they only sell them in box sets so they can sell you the same discs they sold you last year over again. <laughs> so you don't need to buy them that way. Um, and they don't all have to be watched in a run. On that note, <laughs> Jim Mangle, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so thank much, you so thank much you to both much. of you. Cheers. Thank you. So that was uh, Jim Mangold. Good guy. Mm. Very smart. Yeah. Not necessarily concerned with timelines and whatnot. Did he have short shrift with your minutiae? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think he's a man who doesn't necessarily need to know whether this fits into the X-Men, the really convoluted X-Men timeline. So you were like, uh, I think you'll find when we see the X-Men comic, that particular episode is actually from a different imprint than the one. That, and he was just episode. Like, episode. You, yeah, you, you've yeah. got off the shock. Sorry, already, mate. Yeah. yeah. Issue, um, episode. Issue, it's episode. Yeah. Down. I think you'll find he's, uh, he calls himself James Howlett, but he had no memory <laughs> of being called James Howlett because, of course, at the end of X-Men Origins, Wolverine, his mind is wiped with an adamantium bullet. No? Okay. No. No. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> um, should we start, and uh, we'll start talking in general terms about something really specific in the film. Uh, before we get on to your questions, you've been bombarding me via DMs. Still no nudity on my DMs, no matter how much I beg and plead and cajole. Uh, people I are actually sending in questions. Hmm. I don't know. It's like, I, I have the dick pic ready to go in retaliation, but... <laughs> For some reason, it just doesn't happen. Uh, we have questions via email. We have questions via DM from you guys. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about is the the end of the movie. Let's start with the end of the movie. 
and the death of Logan. Uh, what do we make of this? Was this a the right thing to do? Did the movie have to end? James Mangold said it had to end with him dying. Do you agree with that? Do you see a version of this movie where Wolverine walks off at the sunset as a sort of new proto-Professor X uh, to these, these young kids? I think... I think he's right, isn't he? I think it had to it had to have an ending, and I think that's what gives the movie the power that it has. Because um, other superhero films, almost always, I'm trying to think of exceptions, and there are probably a few, but um, they shy away from the definitive ending. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, Batman's dead. No, he isn't. He's just mm-hmm. on holiday in Florence. I mean, <laughs> they they shy away from thing. that finale they shy away from that finality and and I think that that is what makes this feel as, as shocking and as surprising and as fresh as it does equally in though, part in part equally though we have said in the podcast that uh, death does not equate to good storytelling necessarily no. no that's true but I think if you're going to what they wanted to do what they set out to do was tell a final Wolverine story which hasn't really been done the comics have done death of Wolverines over the years and we always know he's always going to come back because mm. As I think Deadpool said once in the comics, your real mutant power is your sales figures, and that's why <laughs> that's why you know you heal from all injuries. Um, so that's why the death of Wolverine is always going to be a fake out in the comics, and that's why I think it shouldn't be here. Okay. I think it makes it a you know they were both both Jackman and Mangold spoke have spoken really extensively about this needing to be a standalone film a standalone story that you do not need to understand the whole X-Men universe to really get a lot out of and enjoy and he and Mangold especially seems really committed to making this a kind of self-contained quite complete story and I think the death of, of Logan really kind of does that and I think it's a beautiful kind of restrained in some respects death there is no CG fuckery can I say fuckery I just of course you can yeah. it's, it's not it's, it's, Logan doesn't hold back he from... doesn't I've got loads more bad words but it was <laughs> I, I thought it was beautiful I thought the ending was I thought the death was really well handled the humanity in his death was uh-huh. really well played um, and I think it would have just been a massive cop out just to go Either it's a fake out death or he doesn't really die at all. You just see him him ailing and aging and, and dealing with legacy and mortality and all of this. I loved mm. the finality of it. And everybody online is going, but maybe he will come back. Maybe they'll redo the timeline again and maybe he'll come back. No, 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 he is not. And definitely yeah. not Hugh Jackman as yeah. Wolverine. That yeah. is not happening at any point. Uh, Wolverine, because of his popularity and some form, yes. will probably one day come back, but he will not be Hugh Jackman. Yes. I think I'd, say, uh, I'd say almost certainly. I mean, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a young Wolverine of some kind in the next X-Men movie if and when that happens but yeah I, I, I'll I, be honest the first time I watched it I thought they were going to let him ride off in the sunset and have a nice little I feel sorry for those kids who are going to devolve into some sort of weird language list because that's what happens is when your kids will default it's going to be Lord of the Flies only with mutants and, yeah. and they're all no, going to kill each no, other they're going to tear each other apart This, I mean this is something we've got a couple of questions about so we're going to get to that okay. but um, there is a procedure in place for those kids they are being met across the border asylum has been arranged for them mm-hmm. so there is there's something there waiting for them yeah, it's they're not, meeting they're not... Miss Hannigan at the border and it's going to become <laughs> Annie with telekinesis no they're meeting lovely Justin Trudeau who's going to take them in and look after them come on um, first time around I, I did think they were going to let him you know right off uh, and second time around knowing that he was dying I was able to prepare myself a little bit more for it uh, and uh, and there's a real emotional impact, I think, to his death. Although, let's be honest here, he's Wolverine. 
He's not dead. No. He is lying no. under a pile of bricks with his healing factor no. kicking in no. just enough no. to let him know that he is alive and trapped forever under a pile of bricks no. with not the strength to slice his way out. It's actually the darkest ending. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like what it's Stephen buried, Ray tries to do to Brad Pitt in an interview with a vampire. I was about to say yeah. the same You are thing. only company the sound of your own screams. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite unpleasant. Tony, no. you may not know this, but he loves an interview with a vampire like a lot. It's one of my favourite films. Did? How has yeah. this never come it's up? It's one of my top five films. Is it because I'd be doing that face? Which yeah. obviously the, face you're doing the people now. listening can't, yeah. can't see, but it's a... Uh, I, I, I was very, very proud of Mangold for, for killing him at the end. I thought having the courage of their convictions was uh, was a wonderful thing. I think I, I love the, the gift of it, that he's kind of belatedly come to fatherhood and he does what he can for his child and he gives her the one gift he can give her, which is a future. And then that takes his life to do it. I thought it was a wonderful sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also it gave way to my favourite moment in the film, which was the bit where she takes the crucifix and turns it on its side mm-hmm. to an X. Yeah. And that hit me. I mean, I properly welled up on that and I thought it was an incredibly powerful visual, just her turning it into a cross and walking away at the X and then it's just the X above the sort of can of stones. And that's a wonderful way for, for Wolverine mm. to yeah. end. And I, I, we talked about this with Mangold the yeah. interview as well, but I'm so glad that there was never a studio note or that they refrained from having the rocks tremble just a little bit. <laughs> doing that, that claw sort of, coming yeah. up. Batman Superman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I don't... I think... There's a there's a fundamental thing to this film uh, which Mangold talked about to us and um, has talked about m- much more generally, um, and that is the idea of where this fits into everything else and whether everything else exists in this film, and uh, and it kind of ties into what you're saying about his healing factor maybe is still kicking in somewhere there under the ground because I think in this reality it is not. I think you're right. In all of the other movies, it would be, um, but in this reality, his his healing factor has now been overwhelmed by the adamantium and that that, that last series of blows has killed him mm. that's what I think and um, and I think it also ties into a couple of the, the questions we're going to get onto about, about yes. timelines we will get onto those in a, in a, in a second um, but yeah I, I just thought it was a very very interesting way to end the film mm. um, with that, that note of finality the man has a tree <laughs> pushed through him uh, I still think no, no, no. no. Shut it's up, Chris. Kick in. No, it's gonna kick in. You're the worst. He's buried. You are the worst. Buried alive. Gone. <laughs> This All is right. really upsetting me now because this is going to haunt my nightmares. This is the, the, I've, got, I've got the really dark reading yeah. on this film. Yeah. But it's an interesting film because he starts, he is essentially a dead man walking all the way through the movie and mm. the movie starts and ends with Logan in the box and it's just the box is a very, very different one at the end of the film. It starts with him basically in the coffin of his own making which is the, the limousine that he is deliberately retreated into um, and I love that little I just love the, the the finality of that and the circularity of that it starts with him essentially dead but he just doesn't know it yet mm. and, and he, you, you sense you know he's obviously carrying the bullet and you sense this this suicidal streak really and that's yeah. another thing which gives it that sense because you feel whatever happens whether it's a, a an opponent whether it's himself he is going to not survive this movie yeah. and the sense that he knows that that somewhere inside him he knows that this is going to be the end for him mm-hmm. and that that hangs that shadow hangs over the entire movie which could, which actually now I'm saying it out loud sounds incredibly depressing <laughs> but it gives it a poignancy because he you get this sense of sadness and and a real fatalism about it because that's this is yeah. the path he's on and nothing is going to stop this. Mm. Um, and 
as a viewer, it's really interesting because you sense in a way that, that that's a bit of a weight to carry through the movie, but it also it, it does give it a real sense of, of tragedy right from the get-go, um, yeah. which sets the tone pretty much for the entire for the entire movie and, and mm. that, that death scene is kind of the culmination of, of that yeah. feeling. The Sunseeker is just a pipe dream for him and he, and he knows it is at the back of his mind. Um, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely touch. Right, yeah. so let's have some questions from people. This one's from uh, Marina Pompeo uh, from Brazil who asks, is it just me currently crying in the movie theatre? Uh, I know I'm not the only one I can hear the snivels around me. Uh, Hugh Jackman said he wanted to go out with a bang, and by God, he did. So is this the best comic book movie ever or what? Dark Knight is very good, but I don't have an emotional connection with Batman the same way I have with the X-Men. And the scene with Logan, and the scene in Logan with Charles, that broke me. So what do you think? Best one yet. So, let's, let's, let's turn this into two questions. Is it the best X-Men movie? And if not, what is? And is it the best comic book movie? And if not, what is? No, and no. Next. Okay, thanks, James. And he said, if not, what... what well, the best like? X-Men movie is X-Men 2, and I would say then closely followed by Days of Future Past. Discuss. Um, I like... Any deviation those... from this is wrongness. I know. <laughs> Just make this clear. I like those two in different ways, and I would put this on the level with them in a different way, so I'm cheating. Um, best comic book movie. It depends what I'm in the mood for, doesn't it? You know? I, but I, you know I'm not on the... It's the Dark Knight all the way train, so it's not probably that necessarily. Okay. I think it's a very good comic book movie. Um, but uh, I think it's definitely up there. It's got to be in a discussion, you know? It's, yeah, I think I think it's... I, I thought for the first hour in particular, uh, there, were, there were elements in the second half of this movie, we'll talk about them later on, the likes of X-24 and the fact that Boyd Holbrook's character, for me, disappeared into the fabric of the film a little bit more. He makes a really good impact initially. Um but then rewatching the second time around, those quibbles faded away to some extent. I just thought the first time around, I thought this the first hour of this is tremendous. This is if it carries on like this, it is going to be hands down the best X Men movie yet. Uh, I think I would go with James. I place it behind X Men Two and Days of Future Past, but for very different. It's a very different film. It is, and I love. Again, we've had questions about this, you know, about how you know this is uh, an experimentation within a franchise, a long-running franchise, and I think that with Deadpool and with this movie in the last year or so, uh, Fox and the people in charge of the X-Men franchise over Fox, you know, so the likes of Simon Kimberg and Lawrence Shooter Donner and Hutch Parker and people like that, are beginning to hit a lovely sweet spot. Uh, the main X-Men movie last year was not good, Apocalypse, but the spin-offs and the solo films are hitting a... Uh, a creative a, a, a creative <laughs> a crea- nothing as creative as my pronunciation of the word creative uh, sweet spot that I think is really really refreshing and, mm. uh, and energising um, but yeah just behind those and those two for me and in terms of the greatest comic book movies ever made is my top three is probably Superman the movie Guardians of the Galaxy Avengers Iron Man 3 The Dark Knight <laughs> X-Men 2 it's really hard to, your top three is, is yeah, complicated it's my superpower yeah. I managed Winter to Soldier you forgot Winter Soldier Winter Soldier Civil, Civil, War. Civil War yeah Incredible Hulk no not that one uh, <laughs> Terry what are you, you sent in this I mean, it's funny because for me, X Men Apocalypse is the greatest. Um, no, I couldn't even get to the end of that sentence. I'm so sorry. Uh, do you know what I? I loved, and I did love this movie, but I find it really hard to judge against the other X Men movies because I think 
I think it really does stand alone mm. in so many respects. And I think as Deadpool did last year, it transcends the comic book genre. It, 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 it feels completely different, which is what they were after. And it's funny because Helen and I spent some time with James um, Mangold last year in LA. And he was talking about his vision for this. And you're listening to him and you're thinking, this sounds amazing and ambitious, but I don't know how... This will ever come, yeah. come, and I've heard come it before. to be. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, everybody wants to transcend it, everyone wants to add humanity. You know, humanity in a superhero slash comic book movie, everybody seeks that because that's where you have a human connection with an audience yeah. and you move people. And also like to your point, like to get a studio to let you do that and take risks and kill people off and, and deviate is incredibly difficult and challenging. And when I first saw the first hour of this, I was completely blown away because I think it is unlike anything we've seen before in much the same way that Deadpool completely reinvigorated it in a completely completely different way um so for me it's it's it stands alone in the X-Men universe and I Mm. I as a film goer loved it more than any of the other X-Men films and in terms of comic book movies I'm an original Batman girl like oh yeah until, 1966 until the day I Adam died. West Adam West <laughs> 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 what a guy dreamy but um, but for me I'm what I find exciting not dissimilar to what you're saying Chris is I think we're in a whole new new yeah. world now mm. and I think if other if other parts if other universes out there and, and other studios can innovate and push in the same way that Fox are we are in for a whole new raft Absolutely. Yeah. Having said that, I don't think that every studio now has to start reinventing the wheel. I think these these films, yeah, Deadpool, yeah. Wolverine, yeah. exist really, really well as as standalones. Um, I think if the Marvel Marvel Studios, for example, suddenly yes. started doing if if Doctor Strange two was a really, really bleak meditation on death and aging and mortality, uh, that would feel weird to me. Yeah. But I think there's a freedom with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Helen seems excited. Well, that's Keep talking. The, the end of the of the end of the movie, isn't it? Really. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, the Fox movies the Fox X-Men movies I think have earned that and that's the other thing as well they have earned that right if you went straight out the gate with Logan you would really struggle to have the emotional impact it's the difference between and this is me perhaps getting on another geeky hobby horse but it's the difference between Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan (laughs) and Star Trek Into Darkness Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan had earned a death Mm -hmm. at the end that still every single time I watch it moves Mm -hmm. me to tears Star Trek Into Darkness that was weightless Scotty's nephew Scotty's nephew (laughs) So yeah, it's. I, I think it's. It's exactly that. You need. You need to earn it. Oh, but, Spock. And, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. But I do think. I do think you're right. I think the. I think the Marvel universe are already cognizant of this. I think they're trying something new, slightly new every time. Yeah. Um, and it's a question of how long they can successfully do that for. Um, and uh, and I think yeah, the Fox have been doing great stuff mm. this last yeah absolutely. little while. So. It, it, basically, what we're asking, we're not asking for people to break a formula or reinvent the wheel. We're just asking for these movies to be good every time. Mm. Yeah. We see one. <laughs> no pressure. And that doesn't always. <laughs> happen as we know and bold i think i think their commitment to telling a single character's i just had a text from arnold schwarzenegger i have to go we <laughs> thought this might happen i was we praying ge- this would happen <laughs> we genuinely thought this might happen um, i'll be back is it, you sure something from conrad huh? <laughs> all right 
We've lost Jimbo, <laughs> but for a very good reason. All right, so um, check out the next issue of Empire <laughs> on sale March 23rd. I, I, worry, I worry people are getting an, a, a false impression of the glamorousness of our lives. Uh, I'm sure oh, they are. I've had another um, text from our Schwarzenegger. Yes, and I should uh, point out that wasn't from Arnold, it was from Arnold's assistant. But uh, Which is a shame James is gone because his very next question was tailor-made for him. Uh, it's from Roger McCourt. If you're a man in your mid-40s with elderly parents and pre-teen children creaking a bit and wondering about your purpose in life, has a superhero action movie ever resonated more well he's gone <laughs> and only one of those applies to me uh, in fact none of them apply to me haha <laughs> fuck you question uh, right so this is this is the well my parents are dead I'm not in my mid 40s I don't have any children oh mid 40s uh, okay. okay fine alright so there we go right uh, next question is from uh, Chena from Belgium uh, do you think Charles Logan and Caliban are the only adult mutants left alive or is it just that no mutants have been born I don't think they're necessarily the only ones left alive. I think uh, mutants are definitely in an even more persecuted minority. They are even more likely to be in hiding, to be scattered, uh, to be to be hidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily we're watching the last three mutants on Earth. Um, no, but I d- but I do think we're, we're watching perhaps the the last vestiges of the X Men characters that we know and love. Jennifer Belgium asks, who do you think were some of the parents to the Tragogen kids? Uh, they said in the video they were children of Mutantes Muertos. Yay, Spanish. Yes. But I'm only sure of Iceman. Uh, Helen, you spotted something? I did spot another one. Um, it was... Um, um, oh, God, I've forgotten his name now. It was the character played by Dominic Monaghan. Dominic Monaghan, yes. In... X-Men Origins Wolverine yes so was it Charles Barkley was it something like Charles Barkley Charles Barkley isn't he like that's uh, wrong he's, <laughs> wait he's, I instantly was, know that's wrong yeah um, Christopher something wasn't it Christopher Christopher it still might be Barkley um, okay. but he is he is the character who was uh, the, the electronic Bolt, uh, ele- Bolt. Yeah. he was the uh, electricity controlling mutant Bolt mm-hmm. and um, and his son was the adorable little fat kid if I'm honest, mm-hmm. who could also control electricity? Now, is that is that sun or the clones or how does it I work? I think. You know? Well, there is a line, isn't there, about that there were there were mothers, and it's not there were hosts. It, it, they say mothers. Um, apparently, the two are That's interchangeable true. now in US mm-hmm. politics. But I believe <laughs> that these are actually made from. Uh, mutant DNA, but not necessarily full clones. We do see the horrible blood splattered bed, don't we? That was that was yes. host to one of the mothers. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I think the implication in this is a bit of a change from the comic. She's not, I think, a clone. She is a daughter, and the word daughter is used a few times. Mm-hmm. Of course, he has uh, Logan has no knowledge of this. No. Because initially I thought, oh, maybe this is someone he hooked up with years ago, and he had no memory of it. But uh, but no, they went down the DNA manipulation path. Chris Bradley. Chris Bradley, thank you. Thank you, IMDB. Uh, Dan, not Dan Jolin, another Dan. Sorry, I didn't get your surname. Uh, Mangold did it, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did do it. He did it. Uh, easily the best we've ever seen of Logan slash Wolverine slash Charles on screen. Uh, maybe we should just jump off very, very quickly to talk about Patrick Stewart and mm. Charles Xavier as well in this question before we get to the rest of it. Um, it's his seventh go-round at this character. And I think this is the exact same thing with, with Hugh Jackman and, and Logan here. That the familiarity with these characters and the desire to push themselves as actors and filmmakers has led to a, 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 a deepening of the characters and finding notes and finding revelations about them that I've, I've never seen before. Mm. I think Stuart is phenomenal in this film. He's incredible. And I think um, Hugh Jackman said to you, yeah. Helen, in for your feature, he hopes, you know, this is something he'd be award nominated for. Um, the, the 
darkness and the uh, just the tragedy in this character and, and even when you saw the trailer and you saw him being carried by Hugh and you saw how frail he was and then obviously as the film unfolds and you know his his mind is failing and he's he's struggling with controlling it and and the impact it can have on the world and the relationship that kind of engenders with Logan and you know obviously he's trying to protect him and trying to kind of let him see his years out in peace um, and there are moments of, of kind of harshness between the two of them mm. and, it, and they're really painful to watch actually yeah. um, and it's a really human story because in many respects it's it's like anybody of that generation doing with Alzheimer's or, or anything like that but it's you know and obviously part of it um, which is I think the question you're going to go on to is is what has happened and what Charles has actually done and what his his mind has actually mm-hmm. has done in in a few years mm. previous yeah absolutely the question is uh, did Charles accidentally kill all the X-Men he alludes to it even though he doesn't outright say it we've had a number of questions along this line um, actually uh, from some people who don't think quite heard There's, you, you don't get the full story on no. this and uh, certainly in our conversation with Mangold he doesn't yeah, I'm sure he knows what happened in Winchester, but I don't think he had any interest in showing it in flashbacks. Um, so a year or so before the events of the movie, uh, Charles has had an episode. That's, mm. that's my reading of it. Essentially, like yep. the episodes we see him have in the, in the film, uh, he is the most powerful mind on the planet. And I love the twist of that. Uh, for years, the X-Men movies have, until James McAvoy came along, if you look at the Patrick Stewart uh, iteration in the first three X-Men movies, he's so powerful that each of the films has to get him off the chessboard in order to be able to proceed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the nice little twist of that, what happens when the world's most powerful brain starts to disintegrate and starts to lash out? So a year before, something has happened. There's been an incident at the X-Men mansion in Westchester and some X-Men have been killed. Yeah, we know from the radio, I think they say seven. Seven mutants. And then, you know, ten scores more people yeah. injured badly mm-hmm. in that in that attack. So that's presumably where the rest of the of the <clears throat> X Men are. Now this is this is interesting because this is a change from the early cut of the movie that we saw in September, and that was only three weeks after they'd finished shooting. So it was still a really early thing. Although it's it's surprising how much of it remained mm-hmm. completely unchanged. But there was one major change, and and that related to this incident. Mm-hmm. So. Originally, in the Munson family farm scene, in the in the sort of dining room scene, which is a really cosy kind of view of a life that Logan and and Laura perhaps could have together, yes. perhaps. And I think that the reason uh, Charles wants to stay there longer is to kind of just give him that feeling of look, you could have a life still. Don't give up, you know. And that's something that Patrick Stewart talked about with us. Um, but in that scene originally, there was a very dark moment where. Um, Eric LaSalle's character asked, you know, so are you married? You know, where, where does this daughter come from? And Charles says he was, she passed, her name was Jean Grey. And he talks about, um, she was a lovely girl, she was one of my students, um, and he killed her. Mm-hmm. And then Logan goes, I'm sorry, he's away with the fairies, you know, uh, he didn't mean that. And and the, the awkward moment sort of passes and they don't, they don't believe he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. But... That was really shocking, and you thought, "Oh gosh, are they going to do the you know the sort of the old man Logan mm-hmm. interpretation of events?" Which in in the comic book, old man Logan, he really did kill the X Men. So yeah. it's kind yeah. of a, a playing with that expectation. Yeah, I I I'm, I, I like the change. Mm. Uh, it always struck me in Old Man Logan, which is a comic book I, I really really like. Uh, the end of that struck me as just a little bit OTT. Logan is very powerful and obviously very very difficult to stop but I'm not entirely sure he would take out all the X-Men before they would take him down uh, whereas Charles 
is yeah. a WMD. Yeah. He is someone who could wipe out everybody on the planet if he was so inclined. Uh, and I really like that. And I also, we talked about the idea that Logan is a death bringer and he is someone who has the shadow of death walking with him everywhere and people who tend to come into his orbit tend to wind up sliced and diced yeah. and that's fine but to also transfer that to Charles as well and to burden Charles with um, the knowledge with of what he's the knowledge done. of what he's done with guilt of what he's done I thought was a really interesting touch well, too it's, it's interesting isn't it because Charles has clearly transferred that there's still traces of that in the script so there's still the Logan what have you done what yeah. did you do he's, he's deflecting he's, he's deflecting it because deflecting. he thinks of, of Logan that way as well as the death bringer so he but, assumes it must be Logan I think it, it again it adds humanity because mm. it's down to him aging and the disintegration of his mind and for that and you sense that if it was an episode and that's what happened and that's why they all died having that as opposed to the depiction in Old Man Logan I I think again just added that complete layer of humanity to Mm. it and really brought it and put it in a more humanistic space which I think is what Mangold was really really trying to do and and, you know and Charles is obviously grappling with remembering it and then kind of when he does towards you know at the deathbed scene it's it's incredibly powerful and for for Logan not to have to always carry that weight of death himself and for that moment for them to share that between them Mm. just again just I think it completely deepened their relationship yeah definitely it just shows how far he'll go to to protect Charles I think which is great Mm. Um, and I thought it was it was a beautiful yeah sort of thing between them well and the sacrifice who was willing to make you know mm. this this going into the ocean where presumably he thought that was the only way he could keep everybody safe from Charles's brain including yeah. Charles himself because he can't stop himself and he can't stop what happens mm. and for him to make that sacrifice of saying my life is over and I will spend what remains of mine and what remains of yours making sure that you're safe and everybody yes. else is safe that that element of sacrifice is, is huge yeah. absolutely I'm also glad that uh, the, 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 the Mangold resisted the, the the temptation, if indeed the temptation existed, to show the Westchester incident mm-hmm, in yeah. flashbacks. Uh, I think he had already established really, really well just how powerful and frightening uh, Charles' the seizures were. Yeah. I think the sequence in the casino is phenomenal, yeah. I think. And it, it, it's a lovely twist on the power we've seen Charles uh, display in previous X-Men movies where he can stop people with his mind. Yeah, it, it also actually is a... It serves two functions. I'm sure it saved a lot of money on the budget because this had a lower budget in order to get its R rating. Um, So just being very cynical, I'm sure that played a part. But also, I think it it serves to give that little ambiguity of what actually we're watching and how this connects to the main Mm -hmm. X-universe, which I think if you had more and more of the X-Men wouldn't necessarily yes. be the case. I think if it went, uh, seven mutants were killed, including Jean Grey, Storm, and Cyclops from the X-Men. Uh, you know, it might be a little bit too much. And also, it keeps those those people on the chessboard. Indeed. Again. Uh, all right, so Dan also had a couple of points. He said, uh, the end credit scene of X-Men Apocalypse refers to Mr. Sinister slash Essex. However, this doesn't go anywhere in Logan, and I don't think it was ever meant to. No, I don't that think it was. would be going somewhere in the other X-Men movies. Um, uh, okay, on to Twitter. Uh, at S Wellband asks incredible film uh, saw it last night X24's healing seems to be an excess of Wolverine's would the bullet really have killed him given his regenerative powers and of course Logan himself survived an adamantium bullet in the brain at the end of X-Men Origins yep yeah. Well, I think it's more. Uh, it looked like a more explosive antibiotic bullet than in X Men Origins for a start, <laughs> um, which again maybe down the rating, but nevertheless, <laughs> it did seem to do a lot more damage. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of his good healing, shot, Laura. By yeah, the way. yeah, good shot. Super good shot. Um, in terms of his healing factor, again, rules we've seen before don't necessarily apply to this film. 
mm-hmm. um, first of all. Um, and secondly, yes, he's younger. His healing factor is stronger. I think that's probably fair. But, um, you know, he'd taken a beating as well. I don't yeah, know. We have to he, allow some kind of... Even if he does recuperate, say, months down the line, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? His dad's dead. His keeper's <laughs> dead. And it's also you not know. clear how much uh, brain thought process that X24 has. Yeah, he yeah. seemed like pure phys- pure physical kind of... Yeah. just And, and just killing and rage and no kind of socialisation, none of that stuff. He is pure killing machine and yeah. that's what he's there for. What do we think of the introduction of X-24 and the idea that Logan is facing the ultimate dark version of himself? Uh, I wish it had been a little bit more like Superman 3 where Clark Kent and Superman fight <laughs> in, a, in a car scrapyard and Clark Kent throws a bunch of tyres over Superman. Uh, or is it the other way around? Anyway, it's, I mean, it's I think an amazing that's sequence. what we were all hoping for, Chris. Yeah, uh-huh. That is, that's the gold standard for all superhero fighting himself scenes and sure. it will never be surpassed. But I think, I mean, look, metaphorically, it's brilliant because um, it's what Wolverine has always done. He's always been fighting against himself. He has he has always been oh, war primarily with himself. thought this through. And so it, it works perfectly. And we, you know, we talked to James Mangold as well about that. And uh, it ties in again to what I, what I think of his sort of last words to Laura are the words he always wanted someone to say to him. It's He's, he's always to an extent talking to himself at those moments now I struggle I, you see and I love this film but I struggled a little bit with it because I it, I mean the symbolism is definitely there mm. I mean right in the face right I mean over and over again you're like he's fighting himself the worst <laughs> part of himself some may say um, and um, and obviously it's him devoid of humanity blah 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 but there was a bit where I was like when he first appeared I was like no you're, no, you're not. Oh, you are. Oh. And it, yeah. it, there was something for me that was... It It took me out of the heart of the story a little bit. Um, and it just... And then obviously, you know, his face blows off. And, and it, it felt tonally a little out of step for me. And I think it split people a little bit in terms of whether that was a, a good introduction or not. It is the point where the... I the movie slightly went downhill for me first mm. time I watched it second time again once you know what's happening and you know what's coming um, and especially given what happens in the, the nature of his introduction the first thing he does is take out Xavier and you know why it's because he's been told to do so because we can't risk this guy having another episode because we're all screwed in that case um, so he's gone in there with, with this mission in his mind but I don't know there was something about the fact that he did it at the moment of Charles's greatest weakness uh, or great revelation that that I don't know, it felt maybe a little tonally charring, but it does also signal the, the film's tip into almost horror film territory. I mean, mm, that mm. sequence at the Munson house, mm. my God, that's... Oof. They're such nice people. I know. I know. They didn't deserve it. They really didn't. You killed Eric And we Lassau. give them their all their little story and they were already at war with the mm. big corporate ranchers up the road and you know, you, you were rooting for them already yeah. so hey, much. You're screaming at them second round, you're screaming at them, do not... Didn't fight these people in for dinner. Go not, on about uh, your business. Yes. Do not be taken in by the, the kindly English man in the wheelchair. He smells of piss. But I did love the fact that it was Laura who took him out. I did that just seemed mm. yes. and for me that, you know, if we're looking for signals of the future of Wolverine or or I think there's something really exciting about it. when I first saw her on screen, oh, she's I was amazing. like, Holy shit, she is yeah. the yeah. physicality of that girl. Um she, there's such a feral 
um, quality to her. She's slightly precocious, um, which I kind of loved. Um, and her commitment physically to that role is absolutely insane. She just has... Think about how long she goes without actually saying a word. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's about Nothing. 90 minutes. It's yeah. insane. Her presence on screen is, is captivating. I love the fact she's got claws in her, in her toes, in her feet. I think I for the future of Wolverine, my money is right there. And I loved the fact that it was her who actually took him out mm. um, and I love that you know he's he's there and he's he's dying you know he's going to die in that scene and, and she knows and but she and she's the one to take him out and she does but she doesn't lose her humanity either mm. uh, there was there was something that Mangold said to us uh, during that visit to the edit bay he said that this carries the sense of its own reboot within itself of a different different tone. I think he meant mostly tonally, but mm-hmm. he could be referring to Daphne slash Laura as well because she was he could be. so good. I'd want, I want to see more of her. Or he could be referring to X24, <gasps> who regenerates himself, right? Okay, no. bear with me. Bear with me. No. Hear me out here. Oh Hear me out. X24 regenerates himself, wakes up. Oh, my dad's dead. Oh, I've been angry. Erg. Oh, and sniffs the air. What? What's that? I can hear something. I can because oh, I sniffed something. I sniff and hear something coming from beneath that pile of rocks. A, no. a scratching noise, oh, if you will. No. Help me! I'm old and I'm underneath a pile of rocks. Please let me out. So he scratch. He slices the rocks. Freeze, Logan, and the two of them do a fodderful tour. <laughs> they now live on the farm. <laughs> they live on the farm. They, they, they move into Eric LaSalle's farm <laughs> past a rotting corpse of his teenage son. Oh, oh Chris, God. you're the worst. Oh, like the film's not dark enough. Exactly. The film is dark enough. God. We don't need your darkness on top. Yeah, I got a lot of darkness. So much rage. Uh, at Rogers C99 says, Comment about Logan, only minor negative. Why do the young mutants think crossing the border will see them to safety? Well, I've said that already. I think there's, yeah. there's a, there is an asylum plan in place. Because of Justin Trudeau, that's yeah, why. Yeah, because of Justin Trudeau. Nailed it. So dreamy. Uh, Oti Boat. Uh, I was wondering if you could discuss your thoughts on the use of X-24 we already have the adamantium bullet which previously caused memory loss for Wolverine but can now blow the brains out of a Wolverine clone hey listen man different bullets affect different hollow point yeah hollow point you know you can shoot yourself in the head and still survive we don't recommend that you try this we don't recommend it but you can Um, Uh, and the weird twist that the adamantium has actually been poisoning Laura uh, Logan which dooms Laura to a similar fate in 50 or so years in fact a number of people have said Laura is a young child and her bones are still growing and they're coated in adamantium yes Uh, so they've they've presumably done something different with the adamantium in her case one would hope or maybe they've only coated the the, um, claws we don't know we don't know Um, but I will say in terms of the adamantium poisoning that does exist in the comics there was Mm -hmm. of course the I think it was the fatal attraction storyline where um, the adamantium was stripped from Wolverine's bones by Magneto I think it was mm-hmm. and um, and his healing factor went whoo, up through the roof um, yes. because the adamantium is poisonous and it does actually depress his healing factor to its still extraordinary level without it he's like you know blows half of his head off and it's it's back in 30 seconds yeah. so that is an existing kind of fact and there's, there's quite a lot of comic book stories that have played with that mm-hmm. and so uh, there was one where his healing factor was blocked like lots of people lost their powers and when Logan lost his powers the adamantium just started poisoning him and he started dying and it's dying. really heavy as well and it's super heavy about, you know, it's <laughs> super, it, honestly it would drag you down well you that's why one of, one of the theories about ways he can be killed is drowning he can't swim well so he that's the end of the days of future pass yeah exactly yeah but then your lungs would his lungs would constantly be regenerating and trying to but he still needs he still needs oxygen to the brain he'd, he'd, he'd be brain he'd probably dead gills. you would you <laughs> You would. Yeah. Um, yes, and also it's um, you know Tony Stark does the same thing in, in Iron Man Two. His uh, yeah. his 
arc reactor starts poisoning him. And of course, Superman in Superman 3. I mean, <laughs> one of the reasons he goes bad is, of course, because of kryptonite, right? So mm-hmm. essentially, Logan is just walking around with his own kryptonite inside his body. No. But it's called adamantium. No. Anyway, his healing factor will be fine under that big pile of rocks. Uh, right, so at Dean, what? It, I did, it did wonders <laughs> what me. You, what I did, do you want? I did wonder, though. So we know uh, this is supposed to be a question you're about to read, but we do know. know why there are no new mutants. It is mentioned in this film. There's a little mm-hmm. bit, tiny discussion at the end between Boyd Holbrook as Donald and um, <laughs> and Richard E. Grant. Um, as Dr. Evil. As Dr. <laughs> Evil. Uh, who, where they mention that he basically sort of came up with the genetically modified thing in the crops, etc. That's basically in all your food. Certainly, they, they specifically mention high fructose corn syrup. There you go, Chris, with your deliciously I'm, refreshing I'm can. drinking a zero sugar... Um, uh, low calorie soft drink that I can't name on air indeed so um, so that's out there in the world and that is the reason that no new mutants have been born I wonder as well if that is why his healing factor has gone downhill the way it has it may also have affected Charles's degenerative brain condition theoretically I mean right that could yeah, be a thing that would, that would make a lot of sense but we also know that Red Bull gives you wings so so that is confusing so why isn't Angel okay that is strange it's, I don't know they haven't thought this through uh, <laughs> at TPM 007 asks is that the Phantom Menace 007 is that like a mixture of Star Wars and Bond if the Alkali Transigen Corporation have created X-24 why waste resources and chase down all the rest of the mutant kids if they've already been successful because they're bastards. I think that's been... They can't just have them out in <laughs> yeah, the world. Running around. Well, actually, technically, if they own them, like if they own their genetic sequences... Transgender bastards, not the kids. Yes, absolutely. Just, just in case yeah. you're although, yeah. I, I believe, <laughs> although I believe their parents were not actually in no. wedlock at the time, so possibly both. Um, but, uh, okay. <laughs> but if they own their genetic code, theoretically, they'd be responsible, right, for whatever yeah. they did yeah. in the world? Well, they see them as weapons, right? And, yeah. and those weapons are only useful if they're at their disposal. Exactly. Yeah. And and they don't want them, the point of keeping them in, in, in those labs was essentially because they don't want them socialising mm. and they don't want them being in any way, you know, w- w- there's a line about um, y- you can't nurture... Rage, rage, yeah, and it's you know, and that, that they can't after, if they lose control of them, they lose control of what they've created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin M asks, "What do you think Boyd Holbrook's character, Donald Pierce, his motivations were in the film? Was he simply just doing his job, happened to be dealing with mutants, or did he hate mutants like his comic book counterpart?" I don't think he does hate mutants. I think uh, certainly Boyd Holbrook's line about this was that he is a fan of Wolverine. He, he he's not kidding with that line early on. Mm-hmm. He's fascinated by them, and I think he there's an element of. Um, wanting to kind of reproduce what they have, um, I think, in, in his designs. And those are his designs that all of his team are wearing. He is the, the guy who makes the prosthetics. You see him tinkering with his own, but he has he has come up with all of those. Um, so I don't think it's, it's necessary. I think it's uh, just a cold-bloodedness, just a, a willingness to do whatever it takes to control this power rather than necessarily hatred per se, I think. Anyway, that's how I read it. Yeah, he has he has grudging respect for uh, <laughs> for his foes um, in this movie, and he, he's he's almost like a bounty hunter at some point. There's a hard yeah. commercial yeah. edge to this guy, yeah. Um, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see any any depth that I was uh, missing. Yeah, I, I, he's one of my psychoists because I thought he was fantastic in the first hour of the movie when the movie kind of focused on him. And then as the movie focuses a little bit more, X-24 comes into it as a nemesis. You mm. can go toe-to-toe with Logan. 
then Pierce just slightly fades to the background and becomes generic bad guy he becomes by guy doing his job and under pressure from his boss mm. to get this done yeah. yeah but he starts a film as someone who is so cocky and confident that mm. he can get into a limousine talk shit to Logan and he doesn't have any powers to back it up he has a funky metal hand but that's it yeah uh, and then although he seemed to have some sort of he seemed to recover a little bit more quickly than you'd imagine from being kicked in the head but he has nothing to back it up and he even stands right next to Logan uh, on the on the farm and he doesn't buy the farm it's it's interesting and uh, that cockiness and that confidence somewhat dissipates towards the end of the mm-hmm. film and his, his end is rather ignominious mm-hmm. I thought and I, I, I like he, that. It's good, but, you know. But I thought he brought some much-needed levity, actually, yes. as did Caliban. You know, I think without those, it is... And I think maybe it got abandoned in the sake of, of fulfilling this tragic story that yeah, needed to happen in the, in the last act. But I think without him and Caliban, I think the tone that was set in the first hour... Um, Could have been too dark. Yes, and yeah. I think they were really, really important in terms mm. of keeping it, keeping you engaged and, and actually add it. I think it does lose a bit of levity towards it. But yeah. it's quite hard, you know, you're yeah. going to die. <laughs> but it still does. I mean, the moment when Charles dies and Logan buries him and that's, that shot, there's almost like Faulty Towers where he's beaten his own truck to death. It's it's laden with pathos, but it's also quite funny. Yeah, it's And the both, bit yeah. when Laura starts punching him in the face, uh, okay, this is really dark and really twisted, but it's same time very black and Charles as well is very funny I have to say I mean, apart from the fact that you know him swearing is inherently hilarious I, I, um, I have problems with that of course you do I have, but I like that no. some of his James McAvoyness seem to come out you know people as they're getting older maybe losing some of their facilities maybe revert in a little way to some of their younger years and I kind of I don't know I don't know if that was what he was going for but I felt like he was bringing out some of his McAvoyness which I thought was quite clever Big Mac um <laughs> At TJ Trot asks, is it not incredibly depressing that this is where the X-Men universe ends up, especially given Days of Future Past's magic happy mansion <laughs> and its very upbeat retcon ending? Uh, who's to say this is where the X-Men universe yeah. ends up? This is a standalone what-if movie. I don't think that, it, you know, I think that this isn't on the same timeline, for me anyway. Yeah, I, mean. I don't think it has to be on the same timeline. And in fact, you know, it doesn't add up because that was about, that was the magic, the Happy Mansion was set in 2019 or something. 2023. 2023, okay. So the timeline just in theory lines up and Mangold mentions he deliberately left it open mm-hmm. to line up mm-hmm. but at the same time it doesn't feel similar mm-hmm. um, and and it certainly yeah the timing wouldn't you know they would presumably have noticed by the Happy Mansion era that no new mutants had been born they would be beginning to see that mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's different uh Felix Mull44 asks after all the build up was Professor X's quiet flatbed death underwhelming and in fact someone else made a similar point about that and also the idea that that Logan's death is not terribly heroic and we obviously we talked about this with James Mangold and his point is that there is no such thing as a heroic mm. death there is mm. no such thing as the death that you deserve and the death that this story demands um Sometimes you just bleed to death on the back of a truck. They were quiet. They were human deaths. Yeah. They were mm. not epic and there was no huge scale and there was no, you know, I think it was in your interview, Helen, and they were saying when something, in this movie, when something falls on you, you die. There's yeah. a sense of realism within this movie. And there was, I have to say, there's a moment when, after Charles' death where I was like thinking that can't quite be it because mm. it seemed so quiet and so kind of you almost missed the moment and I wanted to go back and kind of watch it again and, and appreciate it for what it was yeah, yeah, yeah. but they were very they were very real 
deaths and they were very quiet deaths and I loved and in a, in a year you know last year we saw lots of movies that had an entire third act of, of CG and, and gold swirling monsters and things blowing up and you know I, I, I'm all for a quiet beautiful lyrical death any day of the week mm. yeah I think that, I think the nature of Charles's death is really horrific actually yeah. Uh, killed by X twenty four, stabbed in the chest. He just has enough, mo- just enough time, I think, to register that this isn't Logan, because um, he thinks it's Logan. He thinks Logan's in the room, yeah. which is why he's being very open and honest. And uh, and all of a sudden, just stabbed in the chest, bleeding out. And there's no, there's nothing you can do at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a those, those last man. those last couple of lines on the mm-hmm. on the back of the truck as well. Sunseeker. Oh. Yeah, heartbreaking stuff. 21st Century Cat asks, for all the talk of this being the final Hugh Jackman Wolverine film with the positive reviews, do you think Hugh might be tempted back for a mid-quill? No. No way. But what if X-24 reaches? No. <laughs> no. Back? No. Right, let's see what else. Uh, okay. Um, okay. At Yellow the Abyss asks, uh, do you think that we're echoing the first Wolverine film as there were many similar plot points? Logan goes, resists going back to his old life until the person he's living with is killed. The friendly family living in the countryside end up suffering when people catch up with Logan. Wait a minute, you're onto something here. Uh, we talked already about this, the you end of the movie. You said this, yeah. yeah. You picked uh, up on this immediately. Yeah. Logan saves a group of mutant children while fighting a genetically engineered version of himself, which is how the X-Men origin of Wolverine end. And Mangold seems, as the, Mangold said it wasn't on his mind. No. But I think there's something in the air. Maybe there's only so many Wolverine mm. stories you can tell. Yeah. That might well, be I it. think, okay, so first of all, there's always... Wolverine is often found protecting children, especially young girls, in a surprisingly uncreepy way. I don't know how it manages not to be creepy, and yet here we are. Um, so that makes sense. Who is going to take Wolverine out except someone who's extremely like him? I mean, apart from clones of himself, he generally ends up fighting, you know, Sabretooth, who is also extremely like him. And let's be honest, when they went a bit further from that with Silver Samurai last time, didn't work brilliantly. And even he had, you know, yeah. um, Logan blood in him at the time. So, I mean, there's some... that He has to be fighting himself, I guess, for these movies to work. Yeah. And, and also to set them apart maybe from the other X-Men films where there's always an external foe. Maybe Wolverine's foe is always to an extent internal like you said it's always himself it's a metaphor isn't that true of all of us isn't it isn't it Chris (laughs) Chris what isn't it I don't know what's happening (laughs) yes I'm going to meet myself in a tire yard later on exactly see what happens Um, but yeah I think you're right though there is of course yeah I'm surprised no one's mentioned Deadpool in these questions Um, I thought maybe they have but I've overlooked it but um, there's no Deadpool in this universe. I, I think this is. I think the Deadpool. You know, this is my my theory again. The Deadpool universe takes place in our universe, where the X Men movies are real and exist, and this movie takes place in a different universe where there is no such thing as a Hugh Jackman. What is a Hugh Jackman? <gasps> what even you might is the ask? point of that universe? Uh, a couple of last questions. Uh, at K One Manny asks, who do you all want to see replace Jackman as Resident Wolverine? I'm not and- ready to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's out there he's out there please Whoever call my is. agent I don't know um, Gael Garcia Bernal he's about the that's right height terrible he's that's the right terrible, height that's, I'm, uh, you know what you should have stuck to your guns <laughs> and not suggested anyone no I, I'm not seriously suggesting him um, I, I think he's lovely but no not Wolverine I want it to be canon next time I want the, the person to be three foot four five uh, foot three Chris okay whatever it is uh, uh, K1 Manny also asks X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe thoughts is it possible well, not anytime soon. I don't think. No. Never say never, but um, yeah. never. You know, I think that would yeah, <laughs> never. Uh, Jackman, who would replace Jackman? But I did okay. But I think 
and I hate to go all Doctor Who and you know but I think it should be I think a young female future mm-hmm. of Wolverine well, we got we got one yeah, yeah but I think <laughs> but I think to have her kind of be yeah the the person pushing that part of the X Men universe forward I don't think we need a new Wolverine right now for at least yes. another. Two years. Let's give it. I'm, I'm going to go for it. Two years. All right. I mean, two years. Just give me two years. Six months. It's, I mean, it's two years between Spider Man. I think it needs to be at least five and preferably ten between Wolverines. I'm not ready. He's He's been in the role for 17 years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. 17 years. 17 years. 17 years. 17 years before they reboot Wolverine. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It won't be it? 17 minutes. <laughs> um, there should be one for each jet. But, but, but everybody has grown up with him as well. He is, to everybody, he is Wolverine. Yeah. So to try and divorce from that is going to be. It's going to take a little it's while. It's the same conversation we had when. Well, well, we didn't have it because I wasn't alive. None of us were alive. When Connery stopped being Bond. I mean, you know, and then Moore takes over fairly quickly after that. And then I believe there were some other. But people. I don't think we want a comic Wolverine necessarily. Like a sort of tongue-in-cheek, ooer misses. No, look not, at that I'm pigeon not, doing a double I'm not take. suggesting Roger Moore as Bond. I thought that is a brilliant idea <laughs> and better than Guy Garcia Bernal, that's for sure. But uh, I, what I am suggesting, I'm suggesting two things. I think they're going to re- reboot Wolverine sooner than you think. Uh, oh, so I know. I, I think it's, it's going to be pretty soon. But, and okay. um, why not let everyone have a go? Have I Got News For You, Film 2017, all these shows, they now embrace guest hosts, right? So why not have a guest Wolverine? Everyone could do it. Ryan Gosling, you want to play Wolverine? terrible, terrible, have at it. terrible idea. Go for it. Will Ferrell, you want to be Wolverine? <laughs> Ryan, have at it. Ryan Gosling would be worse than Gael oh Garcia Bernal. The musical Wolverine. <laughs> Tap dancing Wolverine. I mean, if we were going to do that, we should have done it with Hugh Jackman. City oh, of Scars. <laughs> a Wolverine who mansplains jazz. <laughs> have at X-Man. I think it's fine. It's X-Mansplaining. <laughs> Explain it, explaining. <laughs> Explain. Explain. Oh, okay, See, I on. just did a joke. You just woman explained to me. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. Woman explaining <laughs> is not a I've thing. I've been womaned. <laughs> I'm outgunned. I'm outgunned and outmanned. Uh, that is so nearly a Hamilton reference, Chris. You're getting so close. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not throwing away my oh, shot. Okay. Outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. Anyway, okay. go ahead. Give me time. Uh, Shabir One asks uh, Has there been a better cast actor in a comic book adaptation than Hugh Jackman? I mean, he shouldn't have been a well-cast actor. He was appearing in Oklahoma. He's a foot too tall. He's Australian. Um, it shouldn't have worked. So, no, there hasn't been a better one. Maybe you need to go completely against type like that for everybody. Michael Keaton worked as Batman, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Um, maybe everybody needs to think a little bit outside these boxes and, yeah, push things. I think there are characters who've been just as well-cast. Christopher Reeve as Superman. Yes. Uh, Tony Stark as Robert Downey Jr. or whatever way it is. No, I think that's correct. I can't quite tell which which is correct. which or who who ends where and begins where. Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris Evans as um, the host of Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. These are just great cast. And the Human Torch, casting. of course. Oh no, wait, Captain America. Um, Stuart Mulhall asks: Is a total reboot for X Men the best course after the Omni Shambles was Apocalypse? Where does the X Men shared universe go from here? It goes wherever it wants. I think and that's the beauty of this. They can do whatever they want whenever they want as long as it's something that they have the rights to okay this is a question from Matt Thurman who as well asks um, do we do, will we see a war domination so we talked about it a little bit do you, I've, I've, I've been bold I went on I've gone on the record on several radio shows uh, people will hopefully delete uh, and said I think Patrick Stewart will get a nomination for this next year <laughs> I think it's going to stick around long enough um, I think he'll be in the running next year I 
I would love to agree. I think he will. I don't think he will. Historically, you only get a nomination for a comic book movie if you die, and I don't want to wish death on any member of this cast. Um, so I, I think it's sadly unlikely. But um, but in terms of the caliber of performance, or there's no question. Huh, there's no question that it should be in the conversation, but that's not how it works. I agree. I think it would be highly, highly unlikely. I think the work that was produced on screen was was definitely worthy, but I don't think. The Academy or, or many other people are, are quite in that place of being bold enough to do that. And yeah. I think it's a real shame. It's Empire real... Awards, though. You well, guys. It's up to you guys. i got to really be in my bonnet about Academy. I know, I know, stuff, I, I know. At Benjamin SLR asks, do you think Eden is real? And if so, who are the people who will protect him? Well, it's Justin Trudeau. No, we don't, we don't <laughs> know. We also honestly don't know for sure. Um, but it seems likely that there is some sort of mutant asylum process in Canada or, or that there is some sort of protection available there and that's what people are going for. I guess maybe if it's harking back to anything, it's probably the draft dodgers in the 1960s, maybe. I don't know. But um, but it seems like there's some, there's some way to get out of this slightly authoritarian uh, United States that we're sort of presented with, with the border walls, with mm-hmm. the kind of, you know... the it's far-fetched. The trouble, you know. <laughs> Um, there was there was another shot that I thought was left out, which we saw in the edit room, which was one of his limo things. He was driving past uh, a gigantic religious convention, which didn't end mm. up in the final cut. So I was wondering if that was maybe just for pace or for length, but that didn't end up in there. But there was a little bit more of the religious sort of we are God's plan. The mutants were not. That's yeah. why they're yeah. gone. That was developed a little bit more in, in the original cut. I definitely thought Eden was... was if not Eden, then something existed beyond. And, and that's actually why I didn't find it depressing. This version of the X-Men universe, I didn't see it as that depressing, even though obviously a lot of them have died. And mm. and, and, and the, the people in the X-Men universe as we know it, um, you know, it, it felt like it was coming to an end. But then with, with these kids kind of making it across the border and, and representing this future, I actually found it really hopeful yeah. at the end. I think, I think you're probably right because I mean, there was the cabin there and the lookout post with all the supplies that they needed so I mean, it's an underground ro- railroad at the very least it's a, it's a, there is some kind of set up there there is some sort of structure to that I guess yeah mm-hmm. uh, I, you know I, I, I'm not sure they'll explore it no I don't I, I don't yeah. think they were necessarily I think we have, we've recorded this before the movies come out I think it's going to do very well at the box office they're saying it's 70 million dollar opening weekend something like that but I think it's going to hang around I think it's going to be a, a favourite in terms of the X-Men movies for a lot of people yeah. um, Gradient Powell asks was anyone hoping for Liev Schreiber to show up with Sabretooth <laughs> and kill Wolverine at the end oh. actually that's pretty good <laughs> I like. I like. I, 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 I did like Liev Schreiber as as Sabretooth. I thought he was, you know, it's not his fault that that film doesn't work. Or Tyler Maine, or just have Sabretooth no, show up. No, not Tyler Maine. <laughs> yeah, I mean Sabretooth, classic, classic Wolverine body. He would been that would have been kind of fun. But perhaps I'd have I'd have stepped with the tone of this film, Chris, just a little. Possibly. Oh, who's to say Sabretooth isn't the one behind the uh, the underground railroad to Canada? <gasps> I know, I've blown this shit wide open. Uh, and I think that is pretty much it. Right. Anyone want to say anything? Any last words on Logan? Well, just that I'm... Any scenes that really stood out for you oh, we haven't goodness. talked about? Um, yeah, I just, I, I just thought it was a beautiful film. I mean, I'm not the world's biggest Western fan, but it made me want to go and watch many more Westerns and sort of mm. get a, get that sort of feel back that I got in this I'm film. Obviously, memory. Is it as good as Laura's? 
because she sees Shane once and she memorizes that <laughs> I shit. know, I know. I mean, I couldn't even, I've seen Logan twice, I could barely quote <laughs> lines from it. That's amazing. Well yeah, done, her. She, she's phenomenal. Uh, maybe she watched it in repeat in, in, the, in, the, sh- in the room upstairs because they were still watching it when he comes back pretty much, weren't they? Yeah, Nearly, it's a well, I suppose that's true. Anyway, um, but no, I thought it was—I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was moving, and I thought it, it's a heck of a high note to go out on. And I'm just really pleased, given everything they said to us last year, that they did—they succeeded on their own terms. No matter if it does well at the box office, no matter if nobody likes it from here on in, they succeeded in making the film they, they wanted to make. And I think that's no small achievement in this day and age, and that's wonderful news. Yeah, I think it's a triumph for Mangold and for Jackman, who, you know, this was a pet passion project for both of them. Um, And as you say, they did the movie, exactly the movie they wanted to do. The studio allowed them to do it. And I think they've created something really brave, really bold, really different. I think this will be, for loads of people, the first X-Men movie they ever see. Yeah. Um, That really excites me. I love the thought of them reaching people with this that they've never seen. And I love the fact that it is really violent. It's already there's you know there's yeah. there's it, they do not flinch away from that it's really 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 uber violent and it's really emotional and it's full of depth and heart and tragedy and pathos and all of these things all in one movie and the fact that they managed to pull that off I think is yeah. is absolutely remarkable. It's amazing we haven't actually mentioned the violence because there are moments in this that me, I'm a seasoned horror film watcher yeah. and I love really violent films. There are moments I just go, oh Christ, that's, that's got to hurt. Well, he's in the doctor's surgery and he's basically sliced and diced across the stomach. It's like, that's yeah. not the, sh- the topless shot we wanted to see. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know, Helen. <laughs> I, I can only speak for myself. <laughs> I that found it pretty damn me. hot, to be honest. Uh, it's like Crash Meets Wolverine. Yes. James Spader yes. would have a field day with a whole that big. Oh, claw through the sc- skull, which was in the trailer. Like you know, we're just going to put this trailer out, which really speaks to the new tone, and we're going to put a claw through a skull, and then we're going to play some Johnny Cash, <laughs> and there is our movie. <laughs> that's like, that's like the best DJ introduction I've ever heard. And uh, coming up later on, we got the weather, and uh, I'm just going to put a claw through his skull, and here's some Johnny Cash. <laughs> It's, it's just so great. There's a moment where he gets stabbed under the armpit. And that's got. Oh, that hurt. was so oh. nasty. Some of the some of the, uh, the the treatment that is meted out to him and others in this movie. He starts with you know he he, he doesn't quite have it together in the opening fight until he gets the rage on. Yeah. And he takes out those those car thieves because it, it kind of goes you you know for years they've kind of pulled their pulled their punches a little bit with with Wolverine because of you know PG thirteen rating the rampage in the X Mansion and X Men two you you were just no blood and. That's, yeah, that's the thing. That, that's the thing that always annoys me about PG thirteen movies. It's not that they don't have the violence; they just don't have the consequences of the violence. They have the, yeah. the exact same levels of violence. You just don't see any blood. Oh, so annoying! But also, you've got the fact that he, you know, he gets the shit kicked out of him for the yeah. first, and you're like, he's getting the shit kicked out of him, and it's brutal. Like he by is normal people as well. Yeah, unflinchingly yeah. getting the shit kicked out of him as you say until he, until he pulls it together. There's one bit where Laura is, you know, hit in the face. Like she's an eleven year old child. She's a mutant, but she's an eleven-year-old child. It's it's unflinching, and it shows the violence. And I think obviously before they've been very wary about actually showing it. You're aware of it, but actually yeah. showing it full. But and I just and I I'm not saying I enjoyed, but I enjoyed the violence. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I loved it, and I I think the fact that they didn't they also didn't forget who they were you know they wanted to make a more humanistic story but they also didn't forget that they are a comic book movie and, and no. there are certain yeah. notes they also need to hit and they were unafraid to hit all of those notes 
And he's a, he's a big, you know, he's a Sir Killalot, isn't he? He's, yeah. He really is. I mean, that sequence in with Charles and the seizure in the hotel room, where he's basically going up to people. And that scene was really, really... Because you, you see these people looking, they could just about move their eyes, and they can see this guy with claws coming towards them. They're going, oh, shit, this is not going to end well. Claw on the brain, claw on the face, claw on the eye. Yeah. It's not fun. It's, I found that brutal. really difficult to watch, that whole... And I thought it was really well done because they took it almost to the point of it being unbearable because... With the sound mix. The sound yeah. mix was insane. And I, at one point, I kind of wanted to put my hands over my ears. And as you say, and, and the violence ended up being so slow and so deliberate and in excruciating detail, as well as pain, one would presume. Mm. And, they, and they kind of held it out for as long as you as a viewer could possibly bear it. It was kind of... Un, it, but also it, it showed the true devastation that Charles's mind could mm. wreck yeah. so it wasn't for no kind of storytelling reason also um, that that was one of my favourite pieces in the entire film yeah it's great yeah. it's a great great sequence shall we end on a high something positive okay that I've noticed in this movie that's full of, of death and destruction and, and misery <laughs> Pringles are still around in the year 2029 so that's that's what a something positive. that is something at least you know and also isn't it a metaphor for Logan once you pop you can't stop. Oh, he does talk about popping his claws. Wow, that works on at least none, no two levels. levels. <laughs> it works on two levels. How <laughs> two levels? One and a half. Um, I re- we haven't really talked about Caliban. I really liked Caliban. Uh, Stephen Merchant, I thought, brought a lot of kind of warmth and, and heart to that role. It's a, it's a small role, but it was lovely. Um, just, just convenient that the mutant he asks to help him has powers that come in handy for the bad guys. Well, you know, what can you do? <clears throat> Just saying. His, his death, you know, he, he went without much fanfare. I, I did feel for him. I was like, did yeah. he not deserve more of a moment? Um, he had his heroes in. Like, he went he did. quite heroically in the but end. Yeah. He, um, and I, it did take me a while, the accent threw me for a while. I was like, I was trying not to see him as Stephen Merchant, <laughs> which is very difficult. Um, and, and actually, I was really, when I first read about um, that casting, I was really concerned about it. I was like, this could be just a little bit disjointed in that yeah. movie. But mm. I actually, I loved, and I thought he, he was vital um, to actually play off Logan yeah, at that point um, and to work through some of the stuff you were working through yeah. um, as a film goer just watching it and he was kind of the conscience and the soul and and, and you know because at that point Logan is lost completely lost I mean he was drinking in the day he was lost <laughs> what, more, what more evidence do you need whoa who hasn't drunk in a day Terry uh, <laughs> take a long swig <laughs> of that carbonated soft oh, drink oh my word this it. is really great zero sugar new improved taste Vegetable ad tracks with sweeteners. Ah, oh, so good. Donut. Ah. Mm. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> Caliban. Realism. Underpants. Talks about them. You're just saying words now, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm drinking a low sugar drink and with a high donut. sugar donut. Yeah. It's the perfect diet. Wow. I, I think we need to talk about what a diet means, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and also the, the the sort of the villain of the piece, Richard E. Grant, underplayed it beautifully. It was not Evil Evil. Yeah, I mean he is Doctor Evil von Evil, but like he he speaks quietly, he speaks softly, he does not grandstand, mm-hmm. he does not actually really monologue. Um, he has to be prompted by Donald <laughs> Pierce to monologue. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Yeah. I thought that was that was again. It was in keeping with the tone of the piece, yeah, it was but it was quite nicely done. We talked about this a little bit, James Mangold. Uh, um, probably the scene that affected me most. Uh, I just love how low key and realistic this film was. And you have Caliban, who's talking about you know basically washing Logan's underpants and putting up with his mood swings. And they're an old married couple already after just a year together. And you get this lovely cantankerous 
father-son relationship as well but it's a sequence where Logan breaks, takes Charles to the toilet mm. and, and helps this old man who can't help himself go to the toilet and as anyone who's been in this situation with, with, with parents or whatever that was just a lovely little moment it mm. just really hit home for me so uh, yeah you don't expect to see that in a movie no of this kind uh, right and Pringles always good and Pringles right. that is it for this uh, spoiler special for uh, Logan our next spoiler special is coming at thick and fast coming at you thick and fast it's going to be for Kong Skull Island and it's going to be up next week I think March 13th I think but just you know, check your feeds uh, of course the regular podcast is around every Friday so do listen to that if you don't already and have to listen to this frankly shambolic episode why wouldn't you subscribe to that um, but until until the next time it is goodbye from Terry goodbye from Terry <laughs> that's not how it works you say whatever, oh. whatever, you, say whatever you want <sighs> goodbye <laughs> really put yourself into that <laughs> uh, it's goodbye from James Amazing. He was so good. Oh, so he good. He contributed so much. <laughs> and then he just fucked off. Uh, and it's goodbye from Helen. So long. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to stand by a big pile of rocks and wait for the scratching noise. And this, this. Let me out. I'm not oh, dead. <laughs> I'm feeling better. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. <laughs> I'm okay.